Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Failure Peace Theater. I am your amiable co-host, Tim, and joining me, as always, is... Catherine. And we're back to talk about another piece of content, <laughs> uh, I suppose, <laughs> from the Netflix content mill. Content has been produced. It has been shared to a service in which it can be consumed. And uh, that content in question is The Gray Man. Starring Ryan Gosling and Captain America himself. Hooray. Um, and uh, <laughs> directed by the Russo brothers, two of the most successful directors in the history of film because they made Marvel movies, big ones, real big ones. Um, but Al, apparently, are, they can write their own ticket. They can do what they want. Uh, and Netflix is willing to foot the bill uh, for this film to the tune of 200 million Eagle Bucks. Provided free of charge by Netflix to the Russo brothers for their use, seemingly however they felt like. Um, so, yeah, uh, The Gray Man, uh, a, a spy thriller for the modern era, perhaps. Uh, a, Jace, a Jason Bourne with better hair, perhaps. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, Jason no Bourne hate on with, Matt Damon, but, but no, Ryan Gosling, no. come on. He's he's got that jawline, that structure. Um, he's also <laughs> weird. Uh, okay, so I little I'll tell myself a little bit here. I've I've really been trying to decide. Um, I've had a lot of like really like shitty boots in my life, like just <laughs> not great boots, and and so I've decided that I want to purchase a pair of good boots, right? Like actual high dollar boots now nothing like italian i'm not getting anything pointed i'm not going for like an austin powers 60s mod look here I, I want like a a boot that i can wear to to work at my professional job and have it look okay with you know khakis or whatever but also something that you know is, is a bit stylish and so i have spent and i i take no pride in this but literal hours in into the dozens of hours now watching youtube content of boot reviews cobblers and boot repairers who tear boots apart on YouTube and show the internal structure and then evaluate how the quality is like I've spent a lot of time man what would I think we I've do narrowed it down YouTube, you know I know right we, our lives would just be so terrible <laughs> it's the center of my universe now uh, but I've I, I've I've spent a lot of time studying boots and and one thing has become apparent right there is a tier of boot that is considered the absolute best. And then there are sort of like tiers that fall off of that. And, and you basically are, you have to be willing to sacrifice certain aspects of boot quality to, to get to the lower price tiers. But on average, the, the boot that sits at the very top of boots, right? It are red wing boots made in the USA. Very high quality. Very um, booty. Their work. They're very booty. Um, now very famously, they have several different ranges of boots. The two most popular styles being the Red Wing Iron Ranger, which is a cap toe safety boot that you can get without steel toe or with um, that have a very classic look, sort of like like an Indiana Jones style boot. Right. Even though you can get Indiana Jones's boot, that's a company. I, I, it's a company in, in the East Coast. <laughs> that's a they separate a very podcast. <laughs> it's a separate podcast on Indiana Jones boots. It's it's the Alder boot from a specific company in, in the Northwest. If you just look up Indie Boots, you can find it. They are extremely expensive because they are all handmade. Um, they're like $500 for a pair, but you can have Indiana Jones's boots if you want. 
But anyway, so Red Wings have a, an Iron Ranger style traditional cap toe work boot, and then they have what they call a mock toe boot, which a mock toe boot is the kind that has sort of a threaded lip around the upper uh, sort of uh, laced area of the boot. And so very famously, Ryan Gosling loves Red Wing boots and uh, specifically the six inch mock toe Red Wing boot, uh, which retails from anywhere from $340 to $400, which is still within the realm of feasibility for most people if you're because they last for years, like a pair of Red Wing mock toes. If you don't beat the living hell out of them, could last you a decade of regular use. And you wouldn't have to spend any more money on boots. And so um, spent he got those boots in this movie. My life. What's that? I spent a hundred dollars on Nikes and that changed my life. <laughs> I know. Right. Like, and that's where I'm at. I'm like, okay, well, what, what do I want? Do I, do I want a pair of red wing mock toes, which are considered sort of like the upper realm of, of, of boot, of, of boot having. Right? Uh, and so like, but he worked the Ryan Gosling and Perry had so much sway over the production of this film that he got his red wing boots, his actual pair or one of them, I presume he's got lots uh, of actual six inch red wing mock toe boots into this. And and they even have a shot of him like picking them up and holding them. And we hold on them for a second. So I don't know if red wing like about? that is what that is about. The the shoes uh. that he steals from Lloyd are his own pair of, of six inch red wing mock toe boots. And then uh. he wears those for the rest of the movie. Oh, um, and so as, as a boot guy who, uh. and believe me, Ryan Gosling has been talked about in boot circles for quite some time for his love of red wings, right? Like if you go to our red wing, I had no idea. Reddit, uh, Ryan Gosling is quite the following there for his array of red wing mock toe, six inch boots, uh, where apparently they are essential part of his drip. I believe is the term. <laughs> yeah, um, yes. He care <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Gosling cares about his drip and his drip is the Red Wing six-inch Mokto boot. Wow. Uh, but anyway, so he actually got that worked in here. That's the gray man's preferred boot, apparently. Uh, so uh, again, I, I'm going through this process of trying to determine where I want to exert money. I believe I've settled. Uh, there is a uh, American company. Most of the boots are made in Mexico, but they still have a high-quality high control. Uh, there's a company called Thursday Boots, which they ha they don't make like a Mokto currently. They just do like a cap toe or a non-cap toe boot they might have a mock toe in one of their like other shoe lines whatever <laughs> um and so like i'm i'm like tr I've, i think i've settled on those because they're a little bit less expensive again i'm not going to be putting these things through the ringer right i'm not going to a construction site every day and i need to have like the ultimate in comfort and protection i'm sitting at a desk and walking around a college campus occasionally um but uh they make a, a really nice boot for around 200 American dollars. That's uh, it apparently is is a really great balance of comfort and and style. So, yeah. So I mean, that's been my boot journey over the last six to eight months. As I've just been unable to make a decision. I own I a pair of boots. I. <laughs> that's well, my journey. <laughs> apparently, and I didn't know this. Apparently, Doc Martens are trash. Oh. Like if you have Doc Martens, you throw them in the garbage because oh. they're not real boots anymore. They've sold out to Big Boot to big or boot. something. And, <laughs> and and if you own Doc Martens, you're part of the problem or something. I don't know. My daughter has a pair of Doc Martens and she loves them. And I, I think uh -huh. they look just fine. Apparently, they just don't hold up like they used to. They've changed the construction and the leather's not as good a quality. It's a whole thing, like just a thing. And you uh -huh. can find... 
dozens and dozens of videos of people on YouTube talking shit about Doc Martens. You know, I I believe it. I really do. Yeah, they're there and and they're very angry about it. Um, So anyway, like I said, weird side note, but needless to say, The Gray Man is is a, a very interesting film. Uh, I think Ryan Gosling exerted a lot of creative control over the film, maybe to its detriment. I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, but I, I guess we could break down sort of what this is. We, we've already thrown around some terms that will be important. Uh, things like Jason Bourne, James Bond uh, would be another one we could throw in there. But this is this is a spy thriller in and I'm going to say the classic mold because it does very little that previous spy thrillers of its ilk have not done. Uh, there's a lot of retread ground here, if we can put it that way. Yeah, this, um, this felt very predictable, but but I don't know, predictable is such a mean word. It was very comfortable. Right. It's a comfortable film. Like, this film is not going to upset yeah. anyone, right? This is, I mean, and, and I guess it's worth noting, uh, Gray Man is the first film in a in a partnership deal um netflix a couple years ago they were throwing around a lot of money for development a lot of money they they were just showing up and and i've I've talked about dump trucks of money before but quite literally netflix must have been hauling dump trucks of money all around the country going to creative people who were unattached to projects and just saying what do you want to do we don't care what you do um we just need names and we need we need projects right we need to, to be constantly filling up the content bucket on Netflix. And we feel like you could get us a couple of ounces in that bucket. So how much do you want? And so uh, the Russo brothers who very famously directed a couple of decent sized films. I think they did pretty well at the box office. Um, couple, you know, a few billion dollars here and there. Um, I mean, they, they spoilers, they, they killed Iron Man. So, I mean, you know, like that, that was a thing. They turned Captain America into Joe Biden. That was a thing. Um, I <laughs> um, I haven't seen those movies. <laughs> I still uh, haven't seen. Okay. I mean, I know, I know it happens. Nothing you said is a spoiler or a surprise. Right. I mean, if you just look at memes, you've seen what happens. Yeah. To, I mean, to Twitter Iron Man, but told you everything that happened right after mm-hmm. they saw it. Um, I the only Russo brothers movie that I've seen is The Winter Soldier. And, and let's talk about that because sure I think favorite. the winter soldier, it, it yes, I, that's the one we need to lay out there. I, in terms of the grand scope of the 27, 28 movies released by Marvel at this point, the 436 um, <laughs> movies, <laughs> we're getting there. They're not stopping anytime soon. Um, in, in terms of those movies, Captain America, the winter soldier is probably my overall favorite. It is definitely the one that I have rewatched the most maybe the some of the spider-man ones just because my kids love to watch those but but in terms of like the ones that i put on to watch winter soldier is definitely up there followed closely by iron man 3 which is not a fan favorite but i think is actually one of the better mcu movies in general because it has like character arcs and emotional payoff it's very minimal please don't get me wrong i don't want to make it seem like iron man 3 is this like great superhero tragedy or anything but you know like characters grow and change and things happen and it's a cool fight scene at the end whatever um but winter soldier i think is the most satisfying standalone well not really standalone but it's it's the most satisfying film to watch on its own as part of the mcu for me 
Uh, and that is because it is a spy thriller in the classical mode, right? I mean, they hired Robert Redford for a reason, right? He's, he's in the movie, not just because he's like the cool guest star of that film, but because the Russo brothers are very obviously calling back to classic spy thrillers of the 1970s, like three days of the condor that Robert Redford was the star of. Yeah. Right? Like that's, they know what they're doing, right? They're not morons. Um, and, and so like, I really love that film. I think it's a great spy film with captain America dropped into the middle of it. I think it's got great action scenes. Um, it's, it's just a very satisfying movie to watch and you don't really have to watch any of the other stuff to get it. As long as you know that captain America at that point in the MCU is a man out of time, right? Like he used to be in the forties and now he's not like, as long as you can get that concept, you, the rest of the film works without anything else. Um, so they direct America. I do too. And, and Captain America is in this movie. They yeah. Russo brothers like working with Chris Evans and they brought him back for this. That's worth noting too. I'll have so, more to say about that. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a lot to say about Chris <laughs> Evans in this film. Um, but in, in regardless, they, they do winter soldier. They do civil war. They basically become the stewards of the Captain America character in the MCU for the remainder of those films, right? If cap is in that movie, more than likely the Russo brothers are, are directing it. And, and I think that's smart, right? Cause captain America needed to have a very clear through line through the remainder of those films. And, and you know, so the Russo brothers are great. Uh, I don't dislike them as directors, although I think the content they produce on the whole is pretty average. Nothing standoutish. Like it's, it's, they're the last two films of, of phase one, uh, phase four, whatever phase it was. I don't remember four, maybe um, the last two, like Infinity War and Endgame. The achievement of those is that they made all the threads introduced in both those movies land like that's really the achievement. They were just able to balance the stories going on in such a way that everything felt satisfying. Nothing felt too far afield or left on the cutting room floor or whatever. Like it, they wrapped all that stuff up and is, that's a huge challenge from a directing standpoint because, and, and they've even talked about it in interviews where like, well, if we decided to pull a thread in infinity war, we had to know how we were going to, you know, pay off that pull in Endgame, And we had to balance both of those movies back and forth. And that's nuts, right? Like that's craziness. So the fact that they were able to pull that off, great job. But again, output in terms of like, directing style pretty pretty normal like i don't think they do anything i mean nobody's going to be comparing any other movies to like seven gone girl you know david well, fincher stuff yet. like <laughs> yet right but we're getting there buddy with gray man too that's where it's going <laughs> it's coming you know what i mean so like serial killer franchise instead <laughs> awesome i'd watch it honestly uh so i mean like it's, it's also worth noting that the Russo brothers have a very, their history as directors is rooted in comedy. Um, they made an independent film in Cleveland, their hometown in the, the late nineties that no one saw. Uh, Welcome to Collinswood, I guess I've seen it. It's, it's a fine little cute heisty comedy film. Like it's good. Um, but apparently that got them noticed because it was done in sort of cinema verite style. They were, you know, they're, the Russo brothers are big fans of Dogma 95, which I don't, 
okay. Um, I don't mm. think we need more Lars von Trier in, mm. in the world for the mm. most part, but sure, you know, in terms of filmmaking style, if you want to have people running around with handheld cameras to make it feel more alive, whatever, go for it. You know, in, in some cases it works. And again, that gives a lot of energy to a film like Captain America, where you've got a handheld photographer, like what filming a guy, kick a guy, right? Great. But their breakthrough was you, me, and Dupree. <laughs> it, it, it was. Um, we, we've got a the, the Russo brothers. Well, their 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 filmmaking output is tied to television, right? The Russo brothers are the rare directors that made a transition from feature film to TV, which at the time TV was seen as like this is the last stop, bud. Yeah. If you can't be successful here, you ain't going to work anywhere anymore. You know, head to Vancouver and start making Canadian stuff. Right. Um, and so really their breakthrough was Arrested Development. Right. Arrested Development. If if you've never seen that show, uh, the first season, I think, is still well worth a watch. The show kind of goes off the rails pretty quickly. Second season is mostly OK. But the main thing about Arrested Development was that nobody wanted to do single camera comedies. At that point, they were too expensive. You know, the the three camera comedy had sort of fallen off, like it had sort of been relegated to very specific time slots. So Fox was not at all interested in single camera comedies at that point. So Ron Howard apparently saw Welcome to Collinswood, liked some of the things they did with it, said, would you come and help us shoot the pilot of Arrested Development? We want to shoot it like a mockumentary or a documentary with you know, mocking elements, but really it's just, it's just mostly we want to do it for speed and for money, right? Like we want to shoot this in such a way that we can do this and make you think it's a single camera comedy show, but really we've got seven cameras running and we're doing this like a stage play, right? And we're just shooting as fast as humanly possible so that we can save money. And, and it works, right? Arrested Development is a surprise hit or mostly, I mean, it's not huge, but it's big enough that Fox is like, okay, we'll run with this. Um, but it was mostly because they shot in this like very documentary style. They had overlapping cameras. You see the cameraman sometimes, right? It was just sort of, we're just going, 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 going. And so that gets them a bunch of attention. Arrested development makes a lot of rounds in Hollywood. People, even if it's not super successful on TV, people in Hollywood stand up and take notice and say like, this is really good, right? Like this is funny. It's inventive. Great. It also, you know, juices Jason Bateman's career and he's done some really cool things with that. So awesome. So they do Arrested Development. That goes well. Then things really take off when they work with Dan Harmon on Community. And, and again, I just want to throw out there that for, for a guy to be as basically blacklisted in Hollywood as Dan Harmon often is, like there are people who just actively don't want to work with him in Hollywood People who have come into Dan Harmon's orbit have spun out to incredible success so often now, mm. right? Like it's like Dan Harmon is where you go to start your career and then you sort of graduate, like you become the baby bird leaving the nest and Dan Harmon sort of kicks you off the side and then you go on to greater success than you had with Dan Harmon. It's so weird. Like it's just, it's happening more and more that Dan Harmon has become this central nexus for people to learn how to make TV and movies. And then they go off and they do their own thing. It's, it's just, it's weird how often we're seeing this, but 
the, the Russo brothers have told the story that it was paintball two in community season two <laughs> that got them the job at Marvel. <laughs> Kevin Feige saw their episode of That's community. A good episode. <laughs> it's a great episode. There's tons and tons of genre parodies in it. There's a standoff, you know, between Ahmed, Abed and, and somebody where they do it like a spaghetti Western, like, the episodes were intended to be like all these weird action movie tropes and diehard references and, you know, all the things that Dan Harmon is really good at. And the Russo brothers were able to basically bring that to life. But Kevin Feige saw paintball two, And he called the Russos and said, how would you guys like to make a Marvel movie? Like that's what we happened. would like that very much. And, and they said, yes, <laughs> I can we, imagine they answered in unison like that too. We would <laughs> like that very much. <laughs> Maybe we like boot blacking. Maybe we will do that. Uh, but yes, they they immediately jump on that chance, as one would imagine they would, graduating from 20-minute television shows where they're parodying uh, a bunch of other movies to a major theatrical release in an, at that point, successful franchise. Like, by the time Winter Soldier came out, every Marvel movie was was chugging on the bucks, right? Uh, there were There were very few misses at this point in the Marvel Universe. And so Communities jumpstarts them, right? It gets them into Kevin Feige's orbit because he thought that Paintball 2 was hilarious and he really wanted to work with them. And, and that gets them Captain America Winter Soldier right as their tenure on Community is coming to an end. Because that show, we all know, just imploded, right? It, it spun apart from the inside out as, as everybody got super popular and Dan Harmon lost control of the reins and Chevy Chase did what Chevy Chase does and sort of told everybody to go fuck themselves and walked away. And um, yeah, it was, it was a weird thing, but so they spin out of, of Dan Harmon's orbit and directly into Kevin Feige's and now they become the Marvel darlings because, and I'd have to go back and I'd have to check this. So I don't necessarily want this to seem like uh, what I'm saying here is a hundred percent true. But if I remember correctly, even though the Marvel movies were doing well financially, critically, they had sort of fallen off a cliff. Right. They had fallen into this like 60, 70 percent area because most critics were like, we're kind of tired of these things. Like, we don't really enjoy these anymore. Please stop making them. You know, it's sort of like the typical critical response when they've been overloaded with content. And and I want to say that Winter Soldier was one of the few to come out in that time frame that actually had a pretty decent Rotten Tomatoes critical response score. Like critics were like, oh, this this one was actually pretty good. You guys like that kind of thing. So. Um, you know, this is right around the time Guardians of the Galaxy would have come out. I think Guardians came out a little bit after this, and that was another one that sort of juiced things up a little bit. Um, but anyway, so they go off to Marvel, they start making the, the Marvel bucks, and and they're doing good. And Kevin Feige did what Kevin Feige does, and he didn't let them go. He said, "No, you're mine now. You make all the movies for me." And uh, and I'm sure the dump trucks of money were in effect here too. And they'd made a bunch of Marvel movies. So they made Winter Soldier, Civil War, and then they got teed up to make the two big concluding elements, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. So that means from pretty much 2015 to 2018, so four years, they did nothing but Marvel movies. That's a big long scale, time. big budget. And because of the Gray Man, the Roosters have been doing a lot of press, right? They're doing the, the standard tour. They're doing the GQ, break, breaking down the scenes and talking about their best movies and, you know, all the stuff that happens when you've got another big movie coming out now. And, and 
they haven't out and out said it, but they've sure hinted at the fact that making Infinity War and Endgame back-to-back nearly killed them. Like, physically and emotionally killed them because it was three, three and a half years of their lives where they were working 12 to 16 hours a day, every day, if not more, shooting, editing. And, and one thing that I think is obvious from this film is that the, the Russo brothers are really iterative directors. Like they come in with a plan, but then they want to modify and experiment and try stuff. Best example of this would be, and this story has been told a bunch of times, so I don't want to be pedantic, but you haven't seen these. So I'm, I'm kind of doing it to talk to you too. So there's a, the, the last few minutes of Endgame, a lot of big things happen. One of the major things is that, spoiler alert, Iron Man sacrifices himself for humanity, right? Yeah. So the, the scene is Thanos thinks he has the Infinity Stones. He's getting ready to snap everybody out of existence again or whatever he's going to do. And he says, I am inevitable. Cut to Iron Man, who actually has the Infinity Stones, and he says, I am Iron Man, right? Referencing all the way back to the origin, origins of the MCU. Beautiful moment. Okay, that's not what they shot. Robert Downey Jr. was wrapped. The film was done. They had a different line there. And they're sitting in the editing bay, and their editor, who they'd worked with at this point for like four of these movies, they, they're teeing up the scene, They've got everything queued up. They're like, let's review, you know, scene 75 slash B or whatever the fuck it is. And they run the Thanos line, right? You know, I am inevitable snap. And then he just says out loud in the room, and I am Iron Man when the Tony Stark part comes up yeah. and they're like, and they just go like, wait, what? And he's like, I am Iron Man, right? I am inevitable. I am Iron Man, right? Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, motherfucker. Genius genius right <laughs> so like robert downey jr is off project he's been gone for months right he has a, he's he's they he had his tearful goodbye the show is done right they call him back and i'm sure it was associated with a dump truck of money and they call him back and say you got to get in the suit one more time man we need you to say this one line so like on a green screen and apparently they tried to make it sound really sweet where they actually ended up shooting it in the same studio where they shot the original Iron Man, like oh. they, that's what was available. So like he was coming back to the origins of the character to shoot again. And, and so they just got him to deliver that line. Right. So they had never thought of it, hadn't considered it, but as soon as the idea was introduced, that's the one we're going with it. And so they, they do a lot of reshoots. They do a lot of testing. They, they shoot a scene. If it doesn't work, they go back and they do it again. And obviously with Marvel, they've got the money to do that. Right. Marvel's like, fine, whatever. Right. Another $200 million. Who gives a shit? Right. Nobody cares. We've got but the money. <laughs> we got the money. Guys. It's fine. Um, but, you know, now that they're out on their own, maybe that's not going to be the most feasible way to make movies. And, and Gray Man may be a bit of an evidence of that. So, I mean, like, there are these really interesting, fascinating indie directors from fucking Cleveland, Ohio, who are making little movies in their backyards. They made a movie with their friends that got a little bit of success, not a ton, but enough to get noticed. And now here they are stewarding the biggest movies in the history of cinema, right? Titanic style blockbusters uh, in the James Cameron mold that are going to knock his films off the number one spot. And they're just these, these little dudes. Him. 
He knows when you're talking about how his movies aren't popular anymore. I I guarantee, yeah, he he has a little thing set up that just notifies him when people are talking shit about him and he shows up at their house to beat the crap out of him, I'm sure. But I I guarantee you they're going to release Avatar in theaters again before the second one comes out. (laughs) Guaranteed. And and he's doing it exclusively to try and eke another couple hundred million dollars out so that he can push himself back over to the number one spot. Yeah. Guaranteed. It's going to happen. But anyway. So I like the Russo brothers as directors. I think they've got, they've got good instincts with actors. I think amongst the Marvel films, they were able to get great performances out of frankly, characters who had been underused, right? Like black widow in those movies is sort of shitty until winter soldier. And then in winter soldier, she gets cool. Um, They, they had really good luck with Nick Fury and obviously they, crafted the character of the winter soldier who I think Bucky is a great character in that, that series and could be really important to this new phase, new phase or whatever they're in now. But really I think the Russos are interesting directors. And so everybody wanted to see what they would do next. And this is it. Shrug. I don't, uh, I don't know. It, no, it, I didn't hate mm, it. I didn't have a no. terrible time. No, it's, it's not, time. it's not bad. I don't know if it was worth $200 million because apparently uh, that's what, what it cost. That's a lot. That's a lot. I was lot. surprised a, when I saw that it was that much. I mean, but now, it does understand, look like it cost a lot. It does. No, nothing in this film looks cheap. Everything looks really effing expensive, actually. For a Netflix <laughs> really movie? Really effing expensive. Yeah. I mean, because that's uh, the I, other part of this. This is a Netflix movie. And I have it's very a low standards with Netflix movies. Yeah. Most Netflix movies are trash. Um, especially if it's a Netflix exclusive, like Mm. they're just awful. Mm. Um, So, I mean, this certainly raises the bar, but the other part of this is that there's a good, it's a pretty good bet that at least 40 million of that 200 million just paid for Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Like straight up like Chris Evans at this point, although it sounds like he doesn't demand 20 million, that's sort of where he starts for appearing in a film, unless it's one of his projects where he's willing to take that lesser amount. Like he's, he was the star of like 12 movies that made billions and billions of dollars. So he can kind of command that now, right? He's Schwarzenegger level action talent from the early two thousands where it's like, I don't even show up on set for less than $15 million. Right. So I don't, I don't know. It's hard to say, but I, I think the budget is somewhat understandable given the scale of the film. But I think what's most interesting is, unshackled from the Marvel formula, right? The, the sort of Marvel template. I think it's going to be interesting to discuss. This is what the Russos go to, right? And what that may tell us about them as directors and what we may see out of them in the future. Cause from what I can tell, they're done with Marvel. I don't think they want to go back. They've, they've done everything they wanted to do in that mold. I could be wrong. And again, Kevin Feige is very good at arranging for dump trucks of money to show up at people's houses yeah. by all accounts. Beep. But (laughs) here it's coming, guys. I'm just calling to let you know it's on its way. I'm not going to say what I want you to do, but I want you to accept the money first and then do what I ask. So he may bring them back at some point. And in a couple of years after they've had some more distance, maybe they would. But I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Hollywood is is a, a deep and complex machine that has many, many moving parts. But the gray man is what they chose to do next. Right. This is where they they chose to to hang their hats, so to speak, uh, especially with the, the development money that Netflix was offering. So I guess let's let's talk about the gray man. 
right? Um, now it's worth noting they brought their they brought their co-writers from uh, the Captain America and Avengers films. Uh, Marcus and McFeely are their names, and uh, and they did the rewrite on the script for this together. Um, the Russos generally get at least story credit on all of their movies, if not writing credits. But Marcus and McFeely, um, I guess their first project was Thor 2 for Marvel, uh, which is generally regarded as the worst. Captain America. Okay, so that's what Avenger. it was. It was Captain America First Avenger, then Thor 2, because that, yeah, that's how that, that came out, um, which Thor 2 is generally regarded as the worst of not just Thor movies, well, Thor but of all of, of the MCU movies. It was rough. Oh, I think yes. it was just a speedy development. Um, <laughs> it just, it's, it's just not a good movie. Um, although they worked really hard to redeem it in Endgame, like, cause that's the movie yeah. they go back to in Endgame is Thor two. Mm. And then they try and make it seem like Thor two was good all along. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know about that. So they're working with a, an established team of people that they know, right? They, they bring in people that they can trust um, and people that they work well with which is fine. That, that's really typical, especially when you've got directors who work quickly. You need somebody that can keep up with pace. And so um, The Gray Man as a property is pretty interesting. It's one that's been in development in various forms since like 2013-ish, 2012. Um, it's based on a book series uh, by mm, Mark Greeny. Yeah, Mark Greeny. Um, and this is very much a like... Lee Child kind of character, right? Sort of like a mysterious dude, globe-trotting adventures, but more spy stuff, right? So that got published in 09. That got him some attention. And then Mark Greeny's true success came when he was asked to co-write with one Thomas J. Clancy. Um, or just Tom Clancy in modern parlance. I don't know what's my name. <laughs> I assume it's Jay. But... Uh, so Tom Clancy was, was in ill health. He had outlines and stuff for further Tom Clancy books, Jack Ryan stuff, whatever. And, and they needed a co-writer. So Greeny based on the success of the gray man was hired to be the guy in the, with the smaller title at the bottom of the cover, right? Tom Clancy name of book down at the bottom in little letters with Mark Greeny. And, uh, and those books do fine. They do as fine as, as all Tom Clancy books do. And he gets a little bit of a name for himself. He's putting out gray man books at the same time and, you know, sort of is able to, to establish himself. And then he does some solo books after Clancy's death. Um, you know, Jack Ryan style novels. He, he took up the mantle of the Clancy, took up the, the USS right. Indianapolis took, hat. The, it was the passed mantle to him. of Clancy. And, and he sort of, you know, contributed to those. Those books did well, kept putting out Gray Man stuff. And then he sort of handed off the, the Clancy mantle in like 2019 to a, another writer because uh, they're not going to stop writing Tom Clancy books. Tom Clancy has been dead for a decade. We're still yeah. getting Tom Clancy books and we will. And that's fine. That's how publishing works. You know, those are the, the tentpole pieces that they know they can rely on. They just keep churning them out, whatever. But so Mark Greeny's Gray Man series has, has come to the attention of this, you know, Jason Bourne style subset of readers who love spy espionage and intrigue. Right. So it's been in development for a while. A couple people taken a stab at it. Um, and, and so the Russo brothers, when they get their Netflix development money, they write in and say, this is the project that we're going to develop. This is what we're going to do. And, you know, 
it, that probably contributes to a little bit of like, this is very similar to other things you've seen kind of quality here. Yeah. Um, but there are some interesting things going on with the gray man. So the gray man in, in sort of spy parlance is, is a sort of off the books CIA operative, right? The type of the, the, the bog standard, this is how spy fiction works hero for decades, right? He, does what he needs to do. He doesn't have to obey the rules. He goes where he needs to go. He kills who he needs to kill and everything gets covered up nicely by, you know, shadowy divisions of the CIA, whatever. Um, and, and so he, he's, his name is Sierra six. That's how he's referred to exclusively in this movie. Do you know what his actual name is? No. Um, his, his real name, which I assume is going to be revealed at a later date is court. Gentry, as oh. in like, I'm a member of the Court of Gentry. <laughs> that's terrible. That's, that's yeah. awful. Apparently in Greeny's first book, and, and most of this is, if you go re- do any reading on, on Greeny as a writer, he, he wrote some kind of thriller novel and showed it to an agent or something, and the agent was like, this is garbage. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to represent this at this time. But he said, but that Court Gentry character... Like that character was interesting. He was the most interesting part of this book. So maybe develop him. And so that's where the gray man novels came from. And then, but he couldn't think of a better name. I guess not. I mean, it it works as a kind of like weird, like English society reference. Like "Ah, I'm a member of the court of gentry or whatever, (laughs) or maybe it's a Southern thing because he's supposed to be like, if you met somebody named court gentry, you would never stop (laughs) making fun of them. Maybe not to their face. I know, man. It's these spy thriller names. They always have to come up with weird shit. Like it's it's just funny. Um, like just that's it's not how people are named. It's fine. Like it doesn't matter. But whatever. Uh, so I understand why they didn't debut. <laughs> they didn't debut that as his name in this film. Let them establish the character first, and then later on, just kind of subtly reveal. Yeah, my name's Court Court Gentry. But whatever. Uh, there were some flashback sequences. Maybe in one of those, they say his name. I, I, I honestly don't remember. I, they don't. Which is, they don't. I would have remembered yeah. that. <laughs> I think so. I feel like that would have uh, stood out a bit. Would that have stood out? You'd have yeah. been like, wait, what? His name, his is, name is, excuse Court. me? Court. Court. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> so um, this is an adaptation of the very first Gray Man novel. Um, but it is a loose adaptation apart from the gray man being chased while trying to rescue his mentor's family by a man named Lloyd, nothing else about this is the same. That's probably for the best straight, nothing. And so that too, I find interesting because you know, the Russos are adapting this and they're, and they're making some big choices about like introducing characters and concepts Maybe that they're trying to like work into sequels. A sequel has already been announced as far as I know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just don't know. I don't know why some of these things would have been made, but I think that's fine. Like most of these spy thriller books are pretty lean, like in terms of bare bones, sort of like got to get characters from point A to point B. And I haven't read the gray man. I've, I've thought about, I, I have a lengthy commute. So I, I actually thought about downloading the first one and listening to it or trying to let me know how I'm that goes. Say, <laughs> I'm going to say right now, most I've downloaded a few different spy thrillers to try. And most of the time I cannot get through them because the people they have reading them are taking them just way too fucking seriously. Mm -hmm. I found this one and it's, it's a Scottish series. So they got a Scottish guy to read it 
and he is going so hard on the Scottish accent that it's like, <laughs> calm down, dude. <laughs> like, wow. like, and that's when JD came around the corner and he's, so he's going he'd for seen the groundskeeper Willie sound. Yeah, it's like, whoa, <laughs> calm down, buddy. Like, and if that's his natural accent, I'm sorry, but I, like, it just is not working as it's an not, audio. It's not good experience. for an audio book. He needs something <laughs> a little, little smoother than that. He ran after the lad who stole the Little Mermaid DVD down the sidewalk until he slammed him into a car door that was in open on the left. Of, like instead that of groundskeeper kind of Willie, you should always go for the Ewan McGregor voice. Yeah, you know, I the, the kind of like pleasantly lilting day. Scottish accent. Uh, it's it was it's very interesting. I, I made it about two or three chapters into that one. I was like, I I think I'm okay. I think I'm good. I don't need to listen to the rest of this. Uh, but anyway, so the gray man is is your kind of bog standard thriller. In in this version of the story, we actually open where his entry into the CIA begins. Uh, the gray man, Sierra Six, whatever his name is is um is is approached by a cia agent played here by a very badly digitally de-aged billy bob billy bob Um, i mean you know i'm i don't watching this film a tremendous issue with billy bob Thornton. i i really don't know he's been in some movies he's been in (laughs) you know what i'll leave it at that he's been in some movies (laughs) billy bob thornton has indeed been in some movies uh, yeah, I don't I don't have an especial dislike for Billy Bob Thornton. Quite the opposite. I, I think when he is allowed, you know, I think of like um, some of his output with the the Coen brothers. Right. Obviously, yeah. what was that one that was in black and white? Uh, the man who knew too much. Yeah. Um, good- you know, that one. That one was great. It was fantastic. I mean, when Billy Bob Thornton is allowed to do interesting acting things, I, I think he's great. But in these more sort of like standard stock character roles he's pretty unimpressive, right? I mean, like, does anybody remember that he was in Armageddon, right? Do you remember that role? Unfortunately, I remember was? that. I mean, I do. I mean, because I've watched Armageddon a lot. But, you know, like, it, that's the kind of, like, normal... When we get normal Billy Bob Thornton, I don't think he's that that great. Like, anybody could be that kind of thing. Um, and here he's fine. He gets some interesting scenes. It's not much, really. I mean, I, he's in the movie, and I'm glad he's in it, but it's it's very minimal. Um, but he's approached to join the CIA based on his history as a killer, right? He did a bad thing, um, which in this case was patricide in the, the desire to protect his family from a violent and abusive father. Um, and then he was put in prison for that, which. Okay. Um, sure. I, you know, if you can he's verify that the father. Yeah, you know, it's and and that's really what you get right off the bat, because um, this film is is a bit tropey. We could put it Just that a way, um, because it also is reliant upon a, a very popular current trope in that we have dangerous and unattached man forced to care for child, therefore character growth trope. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing that a lot in fiction right now. I don't know what that says about our current society and the, the creatives who are making product that the core way that we need to communicate that a, a gruff, unemotional man should so grow is by, by, by making them a, a father. Because yeah. uh, generally gruff, unsensitive men, regardless of the presence of children, are going to be gruff and insensitive. But, um, but hey, in, in Hollywood parlance, if you saddle up a violent killer with a kid, Leon style, 
he's going to become a sort of like lovely father figure, right? Which, you know, did people take... really watch that movie? Like, did y'all really watch the Is movie? Because I don't you think, <laughs> like, I I feel like people just watched a different movie. Like, did you see the edited for TV version that was dubbed? Yes. In, Where in, he was super in nice Portuguese or something. He, like, you have no idea what's going on. He, he taught her how to grow plants Jesus and Christ. murder people. And he was like the father she always needed. <laughs> right. Like it certainly wasn't Luke Besson just trying to explain how like Le Femme Nikita happened. Um, like that's pretty much what that movie is. It's mm -hmm. just exploring Le Femme Nikita. What if she had been a young girl and met a killer and then this is what she became. But whatever. Like um, when you can yeah, just it's, make it's, movies about anything. You can it's just a weird. It's a weird. It's a weird thing that we keep seeing. Like it's it's so obvious now. Like yeah. it is the pattern for this type of film right now. And I, I understand we've had like Hannah and 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 you know other films that have done this like spy, older spy with younger kid and you know teaching them lessons, you know, the Kingsman series and whatever. Um but it's it's just it's very strange. And and this movie sort of just touches upon it. It's very much a glancing blow in that direction, but it's certainly a part of it's it. It's just used um, to make him likable. Yes. It's entirely a way to make this guy who is visibly not good sort of better, right? Yeah. Like that he's he's a good guy. And and whether or not that works for you, uh, in the moment, I, it was fine. I accepted it. You know, nothing about it was was especially. There is a scene at the end that I, I will talk about when we get to spoilers. But so the basic thrust of this film is standard. Dude is betrayed by his own agency. That's it. That's I mean that's all that's happening. He he meets a guy. Guy says, "Oh, the people you're working for are actually bad, bro." And then he has a thing that seems to support that fact. And then he's on the run for the rest of the film from the people that now want to kill him. And, That's it. And the That's, thing is, I, the whole I movie. don't hate that setup. Nope. I still think that the first Mission Impossible movie is one of the best action movies ever made. Like, I'm just going to put that out there. I love that movie. And it's Definitely. very much the same setup. It is exactly the same setup. It, you replace Knocklist with Weird Necklace Thing. MacGuffin. <laughs> It's it's the same. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and that is fine. Like one of the things I like about the Russos is is much like with Winter Soldier. They wear their influences on their sleeve. Right. Yeah. Like the Russo brothers like Quentin Tarantino, like. Um, that's weird for me to say that the Russo brothers are like Quentin Tarantino. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, I'm, I'll probably have to retract that later. But anyway. Quentin Tarantino, if you have a deep knowledge and understanding of night of 1960s and 1970s action and kung fu cinema you know every trick in quentin tarantino's playbook all of them right because yeah. everything that he's doing he's pulling from those but what makes quentin tarantino refreshing and vibrant and interesting is the same thing that happens when you have a, a literary pastiche right if you can take all those influences and references and turn them into something that is entirely your own, you have, you have done the impossible, right? You have created new art out of old art, right? Like you have, it's, it's the Andy Warhol phenomenon, right? I'm going to take this thing that you know, and I'm going to make it art again. And that's what Quentin Tarantino can do. The Russo brothers have like the influences part, but then they don't necessarily get it across the finish line in terms of 
now this is something whole that feels, I guess I should say, wholly original and new, right? Because this feels sort of bog standard and old, even though it is a, an, a somewhat refreshing pastiche of other previous stuff that we've seen. But it's not to the Tarantino level, right? We're not getting to that level of, of artistic achievement. And, and that's, that's fine. Not everybody can do that. There's a reason why Quentin Tarantino makes like one movie every 10 years or whatever, or six years. Cause like, that's, that's hard. It's challenging. And, and even for Quentin Tarantino, he doesn't always succeed. Right. I mean, like I love hateful eight, but I know a lot of people who don't, um, I like once upon a time in Hollywood, but I know lots of people who don't. Um, They'll so it's, around. it's one of those I, eventually. Yeah. They'll get it. They all come around eventually. I mean, it's the same thing that happened when Death Proof came out and people didn't get that he was making like a... That movie was dumb. And now, yeah, because, now they like it. Now they like it because they realize that it's all just like Steve McQueen references yeah. and cool car shit. Like that's, it's just him doing that and that's fine. But at the time they were like, this is stupid. Kurt, Kurt Russell should die. And it's like, well, he does and it's okay. Um, but that's kind of the point. This movie's boring. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. So, people, I don't want to see Zoe. They just keep talking. <laughs> If I see Zoe Bell on the roof of a car one more time, I'm just going to throw up there. Um, yeah. Anyway, so it's, it's just it's one of those like strange things that can happen. So I, I'm not accusing the Russo brothers of being bad because they play within the cinematic landscape that they grew up with, because honestly, they're basically us, right? Like they have all the same cinematic reference points that we do and, and they use them and they exploit them. You know, nothing to like the army of the dead level where they just straight up steal lines from aliens and put them in their movie and try and make them seem like they're not just stealing lines from aliens, but they certainly have like their references and that's okay. So gray man is that kind of amalgam. Um, so gray man, Sierra six, Brian Gosling, he gets a thing. That thing makes people chase him. The primary person chasing him is Chris Evans or Lloyd as his <laughs> name uh, is in the film and that is directly from the book that is his name in the book Boy, is Lloyd um, so that's that's fine and so he's chasing him and Lloyd is crazy he's a sociopath and you can tell he's everyone. bad because he has a mustache he has a little mustache a finely tuned it's a good mustache though it's a great I mean, mustache not, Chris Evans when he lets himself have facial hair it's good facial hair I, right? I, I, I love quality. a mustache also I love Chris Evans I just <laughs> And, you know, watching this too, and I had this discussion with my, my wife a little bit after we had finished it, this movie in a lot of ways feels like an eighties action film because eighties action films were never sold on the quality of their premise. No, they were sold on the bankability of their stars. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what made them possible is that. Okay, yeah, we've got this movie. I mean, there's a guy, there's some explosions, maybe it takes place at a football stadium, like whatever, right? But Schwarzenegger, right? Like that's that's what got the movie across the line. And in many ways, this feels like that. We are also looking at the after effects of the John Wick phenomenon, right? Yeah. Because Keanu Reeves, beautiful man that he is, yeah. has now established is now established the over over 40 male action star phenomenon, right? Where you bring back a guy because I praise Brian Gosling's Lord. in his forties, <laughs> right? He's in his forties. And so now it's, it's, it's a thing where we're going to take a guy who we wouldn't normally think of as a bankable action star. And we're going to put him in a bankable action film. 
right? Yeah. And because we've, we've got some name recognition, we've got some great stunt work and stunt teams, we're going to make this thing look good. And, and you know what? I'm okay with it, right? Because that got us nobody. Exactly. Nobody I was about great. to bring that up. And oh, nobody is awesome. And that's fine. And, I don't you know, even care that he's in defeat. It's fine. No, I love you. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And, and so Ugh. this is in that same ballpark. It is right. This is really one of those. And, and that's that's fine. Um, now, the, the thing about John Wick that I think gives it a bit more cred is that those movies didn't have that kind of budget. That's right? true. Even John Wick three, which I think is very overblown. Like John Wick, John Wick three was worrying to me. It's very good. And the action, some of the action is fantastic. That Mark DeCasco's fight at the end, chef's kiss. Mark but it's also it's kind thing. of getting too big. Yeah. It's like, it's getting too big. Like scale it back guys, bring it back. We don't, we don't need all of this stuff. Take a break. Right? You can do less. And, and this is one of those with hyper budget, throw everything at the kitchen sink budget. And I don't know if that's great. I don't know if that's perfect, but it's, it's fine. So um, again, it, this is a, a fairly stock, very solid, somewhat interestingly and well shot spy action globetrotting thriller, right? This is the film where every once in a while you're going to get text on the screen that tells you where you are. Yeah. Right. I'm in Budapest. I'm in Croatia. Right. Whatever. Right. Like that's what this is. It's one of those. Right. And, and you're going to have cool like the, that, the color grading that lets you know what country you're in. It's, it's that kind right. of very... Right very straightforward storytelling right. that isn't always We are great. in the Middle East. Everything <laughs> is sunny. <laughs> Even though the Middle East is on the same band of, of, of the world <laughs> as most of America. And it would look that way most of the time. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely one of, one of those. And, and it's, it's a solid one, right? In fact, I, I kind of got a little bit annoyed by the, they, the Russo brothers like the big names. They don't like the little like, bottom right corner thing. Mm -hmm. They like just putting a big name. They did it in, in the captain America movies too, you know, Queens or whatever. And, and so like, I, I got a little bit annoyed because there's a section of the film where we're hopping a lot, like very frequently. Yeah. And so it was like every couple of minutes, it was like, bam, England, bam, you know, and it's like, okay, I stop it. <laughs> I get it. Like We've transitioned to another location. I get it. Just, just go. But anyway, um, so uh, we're going to get into spoilers, talk a little bit about the film, break down some of the major scenes. But um, at this point, I mean, given that it is a Netflix film made for Netflix, you can just go to Netflix and watch it anytime that you want. What do you think? Recommend or no? Yeah. See, yeah, you should watch this. It's got these really famous people in it and you like them. Of course you do. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with you? You don't like Ryan Gosling? What's wrong? I mean, right. You're a liar. I mean, we all saw La La Land. You We've saw all seen it, you the, loved it. the heart of a jazz man break. We've seen it. And and if you don't like Chris Evans, get out of my life. Why are you listening yeah, to this go, podcast? Go get away. straight out of here. I don't have I, any I was space able for to you. Make, <laughs> my, my daughter said something about him. I think, I, okay, I think this is how the exchange went. And this was, this was one of the reasons why I'll always remember this movie is, you know, Lloyd was Lloyding. He was doing yeah. his Lloyd thing. And she's like, my sister, my daughter, who's just started to discover um, uh, uh, curse words. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, so we're, we're talking a lot about language and, and she, you know, we, like, my wife and I have a very sort of like words are words. Doesn't matter. Just know when to use them and where. And so 
Um, so she was, he was doing something. She's like, man, he's an ass. And I looked over and I said, no, honey, that's America's ass, <laughs> which is a joke from Captain America, from, from Endgame. And so I got to make that joke and this movie provided that. And, and as a father who loves to make those kind of bad dad jokes, it was a glorious moment for me because literally everyone else in my family just turned and made like the sourest, like they just put a lemon head in their mouth kind of faces like, oh, dad, come on. But I got to make that joke and that made me happy. But anyway. Um, and he is an ass. He and that's is. a fair and, criticism. And, and I kind and he, of like Chris Evans playing a bad guy. He's done it before. I mean, he's not. Right. He isn't we've, always we've seen Knives America. Out. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's good at playing a lout. Right. And and if anything, I respect him that he he wants to play against type. Like he's desperate to not be remembered solely as this, you know, sort of like kind, pure, you know. Well, the Down thing that's home, great is, is you know, like kind of dude. And that's, that's good. I get the impression that like, that's who he really is. Like, he's really a nice dude. That's why yeah. Captain America is such a great role for him. So it's always, it's, why it's refreshing it yeah. to see him play a bad guy. I like it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I honestly think, I don't think you can play wholesome to that degree without actually being somewhat wholesome yourself. Yeah. Right. I just, I don't think it works. Um, maybe, maybe he's just that good of an actor that he can fake it and be like, oh, I'm an, I am just the biggest asshole on this goddamn planet, but I can make myself seem like I'm not. That's possible. That's, that's what acting is. Ellen but DeGeneres he definitely does America seem like a good guy. for a long time. It's true. <laughs> Did you hear that the third season of Little, Little Ellen is no longer moving forward at HBO Max? Yeah. Due to the Discovery Plus merger. Yeah, they killed it. Mm, poor thing. I'll never get over <sighs> it as long as I live. Yeah. I guess she'll just go cry in her millions of dollars. Here's what um, I'm curious about with Lloyd Hansen is the wardrobe mm-hmm. choice. It is very specific. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of pocketed polos, Just loafers, like, any loafers, um, like 1970s golf wear. I like mm-hmm. it, but I don't understand it. You know, it reminded me a little bit of the way that they dressed Michael Fassbender in X-Men First Class <laughs> when he's going around doing his Nazi killing. Yeah. It's very much that like late 1960s, early 1970s peak men's fashion look. And and it, it in this, it's played for laughs. Like Gray Man makes fun of him for his wardrobe pretty repeatedly. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting choice. Something makes me feel like they were trying to expand upon Lloyd as a character via his wardrobe, given that they don't have much time to do a lot else. Yeah. He just him. does very basic um, villain things. It's very basic villain stuff. A couple characters. characters. Uh, so I guess we should note the, the rest of the cast. This does have Anna de Armas in it and, and she's very good. I, I like her as an actress. She doesn't really have a lot to do here. Um, she's another agent involved in the, the stuff and, and she gets to be, she gets some good action scenes stuff. We've got, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy that was in Bridgerton, Rene or Regé Jean page or something. He's in this, he's like the main, like the, the puppet master bad guy who's pulling the strings. Cause he wants the gray man dead for reasons. All of those um, scenes kind of didn't work for me. Cause I don't know what they were talking dull. about. <laughs> like they're, they're just, they're well, so vague. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it, some of it really feels like them trying to do some very, very simple world building for potential sequels. There's like three times in this movie where a character says, did the old man get a hold of you? 
right? And they we don't know who the old man is. And we don't find like, out. Just, like, I thought we would have nope. some sort of, you know, a little totally. stinger at the end where it'd be like, ah, this is the, the guy, the overseer. Nope. Mm-hmm. Like the dude in charge. Nope. Nope. No. Just, just the old, which, okay, this is a very specific thing to me, but uh, I really love home movies, the animated series from Adult <laughs> Swim way back in the day. And there's a very famous episode of that where they're doing a uh, giant <laughs> with uh, they're doing like the, the so it's just the two of them sitting around and they're going, it's just oh, the old man, the old man. And they're just like lamenting the fact that they can't live up to their father's expectations. I guess it's a little bit, uh, uh, it's a little bit giant. It's, it's I, I don't remember. There's another um, James Dean film from that period that does the same thing. But anyway, like they're, it, it's just it's it's very overblown and it's very it's very ridiculous. And so every time a character this is like, oh, the old man, I just in my mind, it's like <laughs> the old man. Uh, but anyway, uh, yes, it's 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 the loosest kind of world building, right? That you're implying there is a greater conspiracy out there beyond the conspiracy that yeah. we're seeing. And this film is is definitely doing that. And again, maybe that's from the books. I have I have no idea. I have no engagement with the books to know if there's some grander older but man conspiracy <laughs> but no. there probably isn't let's let's be honest here how many layers of conspiracy do we have because we have the base level of conspiracy that six works for a shadowy cia agency right or group in the agency then we have another shadowy group that apparently took over for the shadowy group that created six and they don't like six and his ilk so they're trying to kill him off and that shadowy group is run by the old man who might be the head of yet a third shadowy groups so were like, I mean, we're like three layers deep on yeah. the shadowy conspiracies at this point. And, and I mean, I get it. I mean, spy stuff needs to be twisty and double crossy and triple crossy and all that kind of stuff. That's just kind of how the genre works, but, but I couldn't follow. There's it. also a level. <laughs> yeah. There's also a level where it's like, you're just confusing everybody at this point and you're not getting anything for it. Right. Because you're not going to, re- you're not revealing that there's a greater, you know, is the old man, the president, right? Is it, is it, is it the vice president? I mean, like, is it someone like really high up in government or is it just like another dude in an office that's making bad decisions about things? Like, what is this? So anyway, it's, it's, it's a bit silly. And, and I guess that would be part of my recommendation. Cause I will also recommend this. This is fun enough and interestingly shot enough in the, the set pieces are decent that I think if you are a fan of those kinds of like Jason Bourne style movies, you enjoy those for what they offer. This is certainly going to pay that off in spades, but you're going to have to tolerate some silliness yeah. to get there. Cause for, there's just a, mm, there's just a la- layer of silliness over the top of things. Yeah. Some of it works. Some of it doesn't. For me, when I brought up mission impossible earlier, it really like the Brian De Palma, 1996 mission impossible. That's it. I, right. I feel like that's what this movie might be going after the hardest because even like the Bourne movies, those they can seem very serious at times. Like they take themselves oh, yeah. very, very seriously. Whereas, Bourne supremacy is is dumb serious. Yeah. Like Greengrass turned that into like a hardcore spy franchise. The first one's a bit silly. Like Doug Lyman likes a little little layer of cheese on yeah. top of things, but the second one stripped all that away, and it was you know just kind of brutal. A third one to a certain extent too, even though I guess that was that was Greengrass, but Gilroy did some directing too, and then the fourth one was all Gilroy. But yeah, so I mean, like you've got to tolerate a bit of that, but this one has a higher level of silly, cheesy stuff on the top of it that I'm not sure 
every fan of that genre is going to be okay. And the, the biggest thing for me is that, that, that shadowy organization, the Renee page and, and Jessica Henwick of all people. Why is Jessica, Jessica Henwick in this movie? Um, their layer, they seem so incompetent at everything that they're doing that it's laughable that you would even be scared of them at all. Right. Like, but yet they are at, at the core of it. I mean, beyond Lloyd, because they're the ones who hire Lloyd. When I kind of lost it with, with those two bickering was when they started talking about their college days. And how they all knew each other from college. I'm like, oh my God, who yeah. cares? Yeah, People I, was, are I dying. had the exact same reaction. Like, they're like, oh yeah, we know Lloyd from back at school. Like, what? Wait, what? What the fuck? <laughs> you, all, you all knew each other from school? And then they have like this weird dick measuring That's contest. That's how the CIA about, like, works. You just did you go to Harvard or not? It's your like, buddies. It's <laughs> like, okay. Like, I, I, I get it. You're trying to establish history for these characters, but. I don't, I mean, that would, to me, that's like them saying, like, we grew up on the same block in Boston together and we've just known each other since we were kids and we both wound up as like high level murderers at the yeah. CIA. Like we took the exact same trajectory. Uh, it's, it's just kind of goofy again, high level of cheese with a little bit of this. And again, a lot of it feels because the film is so obsessed with its big action set pieces that they don't really take a lot of time for exposition in this. And therefore the exposition is delivered very quickly and very clunkily, but still a recommend, especially if you're already a Netflix subscriber, there's really no reason not to check it out. I don't know if I would say sign up for Netflix to check it out, which seems to be Netflix's problem right now. (laughs) They can't get people to join the service to check out all this content they've spent money on, but the people who have it are still checking it out. It's just too expensive. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a bit of a sidebar, but but I, I think I'm going to my my current HBO Max subscription ends in late September, and I don't think I'm going to renew it. Um, and Netflix may be on the chopping block, too. But uh, with HBO Max, they just got merged with Discovery Media. So apparently Discovery is actually rather than Discovery tacking on to HBO Max, which seems like the things that you would do because HBO Max has already got like this premium like idea. They're actually going to absorb HBO Max into Discovery Plus. No. And it's actually going to be like Discovery HBO. I, I Nobody knows yet. This is all rumor and conjecture, so it could come out differently. But Discovery bought Warner, so they're in charge of all of that content now. And they, because Discovery is a much smaller streaming service, but technically more successful because their shows are cheaper. You know, because like Discovery reality shows, I mean, what do those cost? A hundred bucks, hundred and fifty. You know, like put a guy with a camera it's in a boat a, for just a catering for ten table. hours. You got yeah, it's like <laughs> people show up. Like we've got some little Debbie over here for you guys. You guys can just come by and swing and pick that up. And then we're just going to put cameras around and film that. And then that's going to be like the little Debbie channel or something. Um, yeah. It's, it's I, the outlook for HBO max looks pretty grim, which is sad, which is very sad. Cause honestly, up until this point, I would have said that it was my favorite streaming service, yeah, not same. only for its originals, which have been good. Um, like if you're not watching Nathan Fielder's the rehearsal, <laughs> Oh, buddy, you need to be because that shit is crazy. Um, I mean, like as crazy as Nathan for you was or or could be, I guess this is this is next yeah. level crazy um, in, a, in a fascinating way. Like 
if that's the kind of reality TV that they're going to produce, then I'll watch it. But I don't think that's, I think we're going to get like Nathan Fielder does Axemen. Like that would be what yeah. Discovery would be. So I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm really on the fence about it, but we signed up for a year. The year ends in September. We had a promo cost. And so I, I don't think I'm going to renew it. Um, at least see how things settle and then make a decision from there. Cause there's also talk of them raising the price further for adding, adding the discovery content, which I'm like, I'm not going to pay an extra five bucks a month so that I can watch deadliest catch. Like I don't give a shit about that stuff. So we'll see. But anyway, uh, so yeah, Netflix is, is on the high end, right. And they keep making it more expensive and, and not really delivering while, on that cost. Um, my wife started Sandman last night and I, I saw a little bit of Sandman it last night you finished it yeah oh nice yeah um we could talk about it? that once we wrap um, this because all right that yeah, sounds that good. might be another uh, episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah it could be uh i i was surprised how hard they went right away like i was not expecting them to to start the story where they did um not that it was bad. It was just like a, Oh, we're going here already. <laughs> okay. And, and I'll be, I'll admit my, I haven't read Sandman in years, so I have very loose memories I'm of that series. A huge um, fan. It, yeah. And I mean, yeah, I didn't hate yeah, it. I it, just, I just have a lot of, it, it plays into this general vibe of is Netflix really worth it when they have Sandman and the gray man <laughs> and various other, man other man franchises so many mans is it worth the many dollars that i sink into it every month well i don't at this point i don't have netflix my partner does right and and i mean and that's that's kind of it is like netflix is kind of like a distributed service at this point and somebody in your circle is probably paying for it whether it's you or not like we pay for a subscription so we we've got it but um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird one, but I don't know if the gray man is enough to convince people to come on board mm -hmm. for the flicks um, because you can get this fix in a lot of places now. Yeah, right? like these kind of movies are getting made, maybe not at this scale, maybe not at this budget, but people are making these kinds of films all over the place. So it really depends how desperate you are for your spy action thriller fix, you know, Um so I, I guess we'll leave it there. It, it is a recommend. If you have Netflix, there's really no reason not to check it out. Uh, not necessarily enough to subscribe, but if you've got it, definitely give it a whirl. Probably have a pretty decent time. So yeah. let's get into a brief spoiler round. We don't have to dissect the entire film. I don't really think it's complex enough to break down scene by scene. But uh, as we mentioned before, spoilers moving forward. The, the film opens sort of trying to establish why Ryan Gosling is in trouble. Cause this is another spy story about taking the disaffected and disenfranchised, turning them into killers and then letting them loose on the world with government backing. Right. And again, this is a spy trope. We have seen this many times um, over and over again. And so he is in prison for the murder of his father, which is loosely spun out later. Like we get a, they, they tell us that in that scene. And then we actually get a flashback scene later where we see exactly what went down or mostly what went down which I didn't think was necessary, but okay. Um, whatever. Mm. Um, but when we really pick up with Sierra six, he is on a mission to kill a person delivering something to a guy in, was it was Beijing, Bangkok, Taiwan. Uh, it was Bangkok. Thailand. I, I don't even Bangkok. There we go. Uh, um, and I just remembered that it had the, the subtitle that said where we were. And thank goodness for that. 
I think it did. It was. It was large. It was superimposed yeah. over the entire screen. And 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 the Russos. Okay, so the Russos seem to like new film technologies. Like they've they've embraced film technology. Working with Marvel, you kind of have to be on the forefront of special effects and visual effects design, like blah, blah, blah. But apparently the thing that they hung their hat on with this one, um, maybe you saw this, dear listener, on the internet a couple months ago, maybe a year ago now, where there was that that ad company that flew a drone into a bowling alley and like flew it around the bowling alley really fast. And it was like a promo video for this bowling alley and it was like flying in between tables and following a bowling ball down the lane and yeah. all this crazy shit, right? It was like crazy drone ad footage yeah. thing, right? And it was great, right? Super cool. Um, well, apparently the Russo brothers decided that was going to be how they did all their establishing shots in this film. So all of their little title cards or they announce where they are is one of these speed drones flying through a city at high speed uh, and, and getting this kind of crazy frankly somewhat off-putting footage like it doesn't look very good uh i mean it's it's fine but it's it's very strange right because it is it's moving so quickly that it seems to defy how we generally shoot things on film right like helicopter shots and and some drone footage you know whatever but this is like high speed flying down a city street just full bore kind of like movement right very quick and and it's mostly fisheye lens, like super wide angle lenses. So it's kind of fisheye looking. It's 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 weird. Okay, it's not bad, but it is weird. And then they don't really use it for anything like involved in the film, other than these establishing shots, until the final battle sequence. And then there are like two or three shots where one of these speed drones they do like a a one or a short one or basically where the speed drone flies through, and then we see characters in one section and then we speed through and we see characters doing something in another section. And they only do it a couple of times. I saw an interview where they were talking a lot about it. It's like, Oh, we just think this is like the future of film, you know, typical stuff that directors say when they try something new. And I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I recognized what it was when they did it. And I was like, okay, well, it's fine. I mean, I guess that's less boring than just a static locked off. Here's Bangkok shot. Like that's cool. But it really seemed to not really do much in the movie. Um, so I don't know why they made such a big deal of it in the marketing. But so anyway, that's there. It, watch it if you want. I mean, the bowling alley video is impressive. You can go watch that. That's just yeah, I really actually really like that out. video. <laughs> that was neat. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, it's neat. And if they had done some scenes like that where they like kind of everything was static and the drum was like flying through kind of a, establishing who the players in this scene are and what everybody's doing and, but, and sort of like we're just. But, but didn't. we didn't do anything like that. It was like, just kind of flat. Yeah, it was just like a oh, we we've got this cool thing, and you know we're going to use it to like fly down this street really fast. Okay, you don't have to though. There's lots of other ways to get that shot. So it it, it was very weird, but you may notice it, and it's it's fine. It's it's you know just one more thing that kind of tries to set the visual style of the movie apart. Given that the film doesn't have much of an interesting visual style to set itself apart with. Uh, so whatever. Um, I like so the we fireworks open... in this Bangkok sequence. Yes. That was neat. So one thing that I, I think the Russos do well with their action sequences is they're always looking for a way to, to force the hero to, to think critically in the moment 
during the action sequence, right? The hero has usually got to be on their back foot. So when they design action sequences, there's always like a catch, right? There's something that's, that's wrong. Uh, it's one of the reasons why their action stuff with Captain America was usually really good is because Captain America was normally forced to kind of be on his back foot. I'm thinking here mostly in winter soldier of the, the elevator scene, right? Captain America's in the middle of these like 12 guys and, and he has to fight his way out of that while having this restriction of one of his arms is like, you know, magnetized to the wall, you know, like it's, it's a way to, to sort of make sure that your hero, even though he may take a few hits, he's always kind of thinking and, and it's an easy way to establish that your hero's more than just like a blunt object, right? He's got, he's thoughtful. And so in the Bangkok scene, he gets into a fight. He's, he's sent there to assassinate a guy using like a rifle that can see through walls again. Okay. Mm. Sure. Yeah, whatever. But silly. I mean, I know there's technology out there that does that kind of stuff, but it just seems dumb. But so he's supposed to, sh- to shoot the guy. There's a kid in the room. So he doesn't want to shoot the guy in front of the kid. Everybody tells him to shoot the guy in front of the kid. He doesn't do it. And so this establishes him having to like go and, and physically take out this guy in his entourage rather than just killing from afar. Um, again, they're, they're working very hard to let you know that he's an assassin with a heart of gold, right? Cause this guy is about to murder like 15 people violently with like sticks, right? He's, he's going to do some really heinous shit here in just a second, but he doesn't want to do it in front of children, right? Cross the line. That's the line I won't cross because of my deep personal backstory, right? Like, and I, I don't know. I, it, it's it's very clunky, right? Extremely. It's, it's just very like it, clunky. it was just a series of like this would never happen, followed by another thing that wouldn't happen, followed by like if he's so good at his job, you and he's been doing it for such a long time, you're telling me this situation hasn't come up yet. Yeah. Is this the first time is that this? he's refused an order because there was a kid there? Like, yeah. Like the way they talk about him, he's been doing this at this point because the the scene with Billy Bob Thornton where he gets hired is like supposed to be what, like 2001 yeah. or something, 2002. So he's been doing this for 20 years. And he's You're telling me over the course of 20 years of missions. He's good at his job and he's uncompromising right. and they kind of sell this guy. And then the first thing he does is like, no, no, not going to do it. I can't. No, there's a kid. There's a bit. There's a baby here. I can't kill in front of babies, you know, or whatever. And so it's it's very clunky. It it, it raises more questions than it answers. And it's and, obviously and, just a way to get him outside with the big firework launchers. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, why didn't you just make it happen there in the first place? Right. Like just the guys out there because he loves firework. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Like, yeah, you know, I. I I really a, a video game series that I really love is is the Hitman series of video oh, games. Yeah. And um this this current crop that the current Hitman trilogy one, two, and three um are just brilliant. Brilliant. They're basically puzzle games. Like I don't they're not action games. You can play them that way. You can just run through the level and murder they're everyone so if you want to. But they're great. And and what it really does is when you're playing them, and granted it's an interactive experience, not a passive filmic experience, and that's I understand the difference. But when you're playing Hitman, what you understand is that being a Hitman is really more about planning than it is about skill, right? And wearing it's about various sort of, hats. Exactly. And sometimes bird costumes. And it's and so when you watch a movie like this where everything is already planned and then you make the decision to go unplanned, it, it sort of actually diminishes your skill as a trained assassin, 
right? Because if you've gotten to this point, everything's already gone wrong. And so he, he engages in this big action sequence and it's fine. Like, you know, he's using chopsticks to murder people and whatever. And then he has a fight with a guy on the actual firework barge, right? So there's fireworks going on and it's, it's, it's cool. It makes for a very bright scene. They get to do like interesting color. But it would have been a lot cooler if he was just following him through this place. And then the guy goes out onto the fireworks barge and a fight breaks out. Like if they just would have kept it simple, sure. but they, they built up this moment of like, no, I can't, can't shoot the man because of the kid. I don't know. That just, a, that was a bad start. That was a really rough, rough opening. Right. I mean, cause like we've already got a film that kind of, since it opened where it opened, you know, with his, his past, we've already got a film that's kind of defying how the modern spy action thriller opens because the typical way it's done now is you have a cold open where you know spy doing spy things information is revealed you know something happens a bit of you know basically the scene in bangkok but we would have started there and then everything sort of spirals out from that because it's it's cold open thing happens in cold open that seems unrelated to the remainder of the film but we find out later that it actually has you know import right like that's standard spy action movie opener now so we've already defied that structure and then when we get to our spy opener, we show him failing to, to do his job, which again, that's fine. But what are we learning about him because he chose to fail? And then we get this big action sequence on a barge that again, it, there's a, there's only so much coincidence that you're going to be willing to give characters for like, Oh, okay. I, I believe that it came together here kind of thing. And, I know there's an old screenwriting rule. It's like the audience will let you get into more coincidences than coincidences that let you get out of things. But this movie strains it on both ends, right? Like there's just too much coincidence. So they wind up fighting on this barge and it's a fine action sequence. But the problem is too, I've watched too many spy action movies and action movies in general. The moment I saw the guy that they had picked to be the target, I'm like, Oh, there's going to be a big hand to hand action sequence Mm -hmm. because that guy He's in John Wick and he's in all those other movies doing hand to hand fight sequences. So I was like, I immediately knew how this was going to end because I'm like, you don't hire that guy unless he is going to be the the actor slash stuntman who gets into the hand to hand fight with Ryan Gosling. So like that's on me. Like I can't blame the Russo brothers for that. But like I immediately knew, oh, yeah, that's what that's where this is going. And so they have the fight and and it's fine. It's it's well choreographed. They fling fireworks at each other at the same time and it's, it's whatever. Um, but then of course there, he reveals at the end as he's dying, right? <laughs> oh, what's your, you Sierra six, I'm Sierra four, right? Like I'm one of you and they want me dead because I know too much. Bum, bum, bum. And then he of course has a thing. He has a bangle a MacGuffin that, that has all of the secrets on it. Here's all the secrets. They're all here. That's what I was here to sell. That's why, that's why you needed to kill me. And, and, Okay, so again, Ryan Gosling's character has been in the spy game for 20 years. And he just believes this dude yeah. straight off the bat. Now, granted, he does ask him a couple of, you know, forces, right? Like, you know, where did Fitzroy find you, right? And he's like, oh, he found me in prison, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like you. So he, he did have answers, right? He did know things about the program that would indicate that, yes, he's being honest. But still, like, I mean... 
the dude knows the moment he knew the moment he runs, he's going to be on the run, right? Like the moment he leaves, this is, this is happening. And he has to buy this guy's line hook, line and sinker for that to happen. And I, too much has happened for us to believe that this guy, this trained assassin, who's done exactly what he's been told for 20 years, murder, 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 death, 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 kill, kill, kill would just be like, nah, yeah, I believe you, dude. I'm on with, I'm on board with what you're throwing down. Let me steal this bangle and then disappear into the Bangkok downtown area. Right. Like really? <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and so like, yeah, it, it's that. And I guess that was the main thing that I came back to. Like, there's just a lot of stuff in this movie that strains the credibility of even the most goofy spy action thriller, like, like naked gun level shit in this movie. It's like, wait, what? Oh, so the queen of England's involved. She's not, but I mean like, that's the kind of stuff I was expecting. I was expecting some character to be like the queen's on the phone for you. So, you know, like that kind of shit. And it's like, Oh God. I don't know. I mean, and it would have been easily solved if they had established that he already doubts what he does. Exactly. Like, you know, the, we, he does have a little exchange with Anna de Armas. Um, like, and they're both just in these crazy suits, which I'm like, I loved her suit and she she was great. Like they look really good. But again, like if you watch anything about spycraft, like actual spycraft, the whole point of being a spy is to not be remembered, right? (laughs) To be, loud enough to be seen. Like you want to be seen. You don't want to be like the weird person lurking in the shadows. Cause that gets noticed. But then like at the same time, you don't necessarily want to be like, Oh yeah, I remember the girl in the flower suit, whatever. Or, or maybe you would, because then you take off the flower suit. Nobody remembers it was you. Maybe that's the point, whatever. I think, I think part of this, my, my issue with this film though, is that I, we recently rewatched all the Kingsman movies. And while I do not think the Kingsman movies are fantastic, I'm not going to stand here and log really them. Like as the like first the, one. Is I'm, okay. I kind of love those movies. <laughs> right. And maybe it's because I've developed this weird relationship with Matthew Vaughn, where I don't really like him as a director. Like I really don't. I think a lot of his instincts, especially tonally are weird and wrong, but when he is operating at peak efficiency, Matthew Vaughn is pretty fucking great, right? I I will still to this day I will say that X Men First Class is the best X Men movie. I really think it is. Like I, the other Brian Singer ones, I think they're they're very good. I don't hate them as much as some people do. I think Apocalypse is a train wreck. It's fine because it is a train wreck, but like I think X Men First Class is a fun movie to watch that actually like does cool things with X Men, and and I think it's very good. But those Kingsman movies, dude they really work for me like they're fun <laughs> and they're fun. And that was my other beef with this one that I'll bring up here briefly before we move on. Henry Jackman did the score for the Kingsman movies and many other films. He also did the score for winter soldier, which I think is a solid score. It's, it's fine, but these Kingsman scores are great. Like I just, I just listen to them sometimes because they're just really good but I understand they're in a very sort of different mold. Kingsman is playing upon, it's sort of like updating James Bond and trying to play in that mold very specifically. And this one is playing in a very different mold than James Bond, right? They're, they're much more of the sort of Jason Bourne style films what this one's going for. But Henry Jackman did the score for this and it was just the biggest effing nothing burger of a score that I've yeah. ever heard. Like, it's just all like background. <laughs> Like that's it. That's just for the stuff whole you movie. had available. Yeah, I was just like, this together. <laughs> I mean, did you just have like a drum machine on loop and you're just like, I don't know, this 
maybe it, it was such a disappointment because I saw his name listed as, as like, you know, composer. And I was like, Oh great. Another like Henry Jackman spy thriller score. And it was so disappointing. I was like, this music is terrible. And I know he co-wrote it with someone else. I guess is it the inevitable track of a music composer now to just take the Hans Zimmer route where you actually have like 15 little no name people who do all the recording and, and composing. And then you just kind of show up on a Thursday and be like, I want it to be like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and then you leave. It's like, is that, is that what it is now? Because apparently that's all Hans Zimmer does is he just kind of shows up and he'll play like something on piano and then he'll be like, go make it the music. And then you know all these like, like little peons <laughs> just run around and do it. And it's, it's just, it was frustrating because I was legitimately like, oh man, at the very least, even if this is dumb, at least I get a, a new Henry Jackman, you know, like spy thriller score. Oh, yeah. And it was like, you get nothing. Yeah. It's like, oh God, just stop. Just stop it. Like, cause like I said, the Kingsman score has a beautiful main theme. It's incorporated brilliantly throughout the films, all of them. It's got an emotional, it's got like this one big, like emotional swell that it'll do. And then it has kind of like lower key versions that he'll play, but it's this wonderful, like, you know, sort of classic spy theme, right? It's very good. And then this one just has, it was so frustrating, man. It sucked so bad. But anyway, um, so yeah, we, so that kicks off everything. He calls Fitzroy and, and tells him, Hey, this thing happened. Fitzroy confirms that it was indeed Sierra four. Cause he had a scar on his face, <laughs> you know? So there's, there's some things going on to verify that what this dude's saying is true. And then sort of the, the conspiracy begins to unfurl at this Renee page character, this new director at the CIA. He sort of wants to blow out the Sierra program and bring in all his college buddies, <laughs> bring in all his college friends and start a brand new sub agency where they just murder whoever they want. And so it really then becomes this, I mean, I'm sure in the, the, the marketing materials is like a deadly game of cat and mouse between Lloyd and, and six. And it's like, whatever it's, it's not that it's really just six doing what he was going to do anyway, going where he's going to go to try and solve this mystery or whatever. And, and then just Lloyd chasing him with all of these teams that they loosely establish alpha team, Bravo team. They all wear weird masks and they show up in different places. It's, yeah, it's just so straightforward and, and so lacking it's in, a video in like game, real character. It's video game stuff. Yeah. It's like, like the, the, the enemies even want, come in waves, like in a video game. They do. <laughs> yep. They show up in different vans and then Paul pop out at once. Yeah. It's like, you really think it's the best move with this trained killer to just all show up in the same van and then just get out the door at the same time. It's like, is that really the best choice? Um, you know, it's just, it, a lot of it just doesn't really have any payoff and it, it feels like we're just setting up pieces because we know that these pieces need to blow up on this side and we got to have some things over here. And, and a lot of it felt very much like payday two kind of stuff, right? Like, Oh, we're gotta, got a heist and we got to get these guys in here with these weird masks on and blow some shit up, you know? And, it just it is very strange. Uh, there's some interesting action sequences. We'll talk about those in a sec. But so in essence, the the emotional core gets told to us through a flashback that six uh, that when Fitzroy retired, I guess when he left the agency, he uh, he had a niece. I guess is a niece. Yeah, like his brother's kid or sister's <laughs> kid or something. And she's got a she's got a heart condition. I mean, like so again, they're just layering this shit on. She's got a heart condition. She has to have a pacemaker. 
And, and so like at some point in the past, Fitzroy was called out to a mission. He brought six in to keep her safe because there was people will always try to get to him through her or something. And so he ends up like protecting her. They develop a bond. She listens to records and old music. And she's very quirky and she's very sassy. Yeah. She's got some sass. She's like, uh, what's your name? Six. Great name. Dude, yeah, or whatever, <laughs> whatever <laughs> well, else is a forty-year-old man trying to like, write a that, kid. That's how she was written, and it just—it's right. not good. It's just there. It's it's hard to establish kids as interesting without relying on a quirk yeah. or something about them that makes them quirky, right? So for her, it's the pacemaker and the records. Which the pacemaker they actually do incorporate into the story. That is eventually how he finds her because pacemakers are logged and registered. And if you can get to the company that makes it, this was a bit nebulous, but like I didn't realize that pacemakers had like GPS locators in them, but apparently I, they I do. I don't know about that. Uh, I mean, I, I could see that as being a potential feature in case the pacemaker fails and it sends out like a. Almost like one of those, like I fell buttons, right? Like, you know, I've fallen and I can't get up. And so you like hit the button and it tells people where you are. Like if the pacemaker fails, it goes off and tells people where you are so that they can find you and help you. I guess I don't see how that would necessarily be feasible. Most of the time, if your heart stops, you've got very limited time window that somebody can get to you and save you. So I don't know if a GPS locator going off when you're like, at school is going to be enough for an ambulance to get there, whatever. So anyway, he, he needs the, the serial number. So that leads to an action sequence later. And then they go and they get that. And that tells them where they are in Croatia or something. So it's, it's, it's fine. Like they at least made the pacemaker quirk meaningful to the plot. So good on them. But, but that's really it. She's sassy. She likes records and she has a pacemaker. All right. That's all you need. I guess guess she's worth dying for because <laughs> old men need kids to take care of in order to prove that they have emotional weight. Right. Like, and that's, again, I'm not upset about it. It's fine, oh. but could they have done more? Could they have like, uh, and they, they do have a scene where they like eat breakfast together, right? Like pancakes or something that got referenced at one point, I think, but yeah, it's just, it's, if you're going to do that, do more with it. It was my my basic feeling like if you really want me to care about this girl please do more with the girl because she disappears for like an hour in this movie she gets shoved in a room in this palace or castle wherever they are and then we never see her again for until like the end of the movie right i mean maybe there's one scene where lloyd's trying to intimidate her but they know she doesn't know anything they know she can't help them in their investigation she's just a bartering chip so it's just, it was, again, a bit of a nothing burger of a storyline. Yeah. I would have liked more. Um, and, and then the, I, the scene I referenced earlier at the end, right? So at one point she's listening to, what's the name of the song? Silverbird. Mm -hmm. um, Something like that. She's listening to Silverbird on her little 45 on her Crosley radio player, which I'm sure Crosley provided a little bit of, a little bit of something. They gave Amen. everyone their very own Crosley record player. <laughs> you guys need some record players? A Guess what? We're $49.99 value. <laughs> <laughs> like she couldn't afford a better record player than a Crosley <laughs> from the bottom shelf at Walmart. Um, whatever. So she's listening to Silverbird, and then at the end that comes back, he uh 
they're she's captured again because that's what little kids do they just get captured and and he's coming to save her and and he takes he takes the time to break into the home where she's being held without killing anyone to leave her a post-it note to tell her to play the song really loud so that he can then break into the home again via a different vantage point and murder everyone before rescuing her. Um, and, and in that scene, and this even confused my kids because we, we did watch this with the kids, which I'm not sure was a great idea, but we did. And, and so she's sitting in the room while he's doing the murders with her hands over her ears, crying and apparently screaming in terror, knowing that, you know, this guy, her protector, her savior is in the is is currently murdering 20 to 30 seemingly government agents like other CIA agents it's, to rescue her it, it seemed off it's 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 a weird way to end your spy action thriller dude like but then they immediately because, hop in in a jeep and they ride away and they're gone I, it, it, i'm i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to actually you hear it was actually a mercedes oh. G wagon. Well, they wouldn't right? They wouldn't have a Jeep. That's true. That's Mm-mm, too cheap. No, G wagons all the way. There are characters who wind up in weird Mercedes cars throughout this entire movie, and I was like, "Why?" Like, I'm maybe Mercedes provided some furnished cars. I'm sure cars. they did. I don't know, but I was like, forty nine ninety nine. Why are we in a G wagon? Why are they escaping in this incredibly conspicuous and easy to recognize car? But yeah, it's just it was it was very strange because it implies that she's not happy about what's being done. She's terrified by the murder Which that she's committing. That part makes sense because mm-hmm. she would be terrified of totally. that. But then they immediately turn around and it's it's bouncy, happy ending. Right. We're just listening to seventies pop hits in this G wagon. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. When it implies that if he was able to break into her room and leave a note, why didn't he just take her? Just take her. You don't have to kill anybody, man. Why do you have to kill everybody? I mean, like it's fine. They're, they're bad, I guess, but I guess, you know, know, they could have just been sent there as like part of their job. You know, I mean, that was my thinking. I was like, I'm sure there were dudes who just got, I mean, it's like Tuesday morning and they're like, Hey Terry, we need you to go hang out at this house. Oh, you know, watch over just, a kid. Well, I have four children of my own. I would love, I would to do that. Gladly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Terry ain't coming home and his kids don't have a dad anymore. You know? <laughs> like, holy shit. <laughs> it, was, it was a very weird way to end your spy thriller. Um, bouncy seventies hits or no. But so in any case, the the main thrust of this is really this sort of like, I guess, fun little tete-a-tete between Ryan Gosling as six and Lloyd played by by Chris Evans and Chris Evans character. As you mentioned, he has this very he's very stylish or at least stylish within a certain mode, Um, you know, beautiful haircut, fine mustache. um, and, And he's played right from the beginning as a sadist. Right. He's torturing a man by having um, electrodes wired to his cheekbones or his cheeks, I guess, just on his lips. And he's like shocking him when he doesn't give him the answers that he wants. But then he's very he's very like, hey, he gets a phone call. He's like, hey, man, what's up? No, I'm just taking care of this dude. You know, it's no big deal. I'm just just doing some murders, doing some tortures. You know, it's what I do. And so he's obviously a sociopath and and he's terrible. But yet here's you can tell the Russos want you to like him a little. Yeah. 
at least a bit, right? Because you're going to get a lot of screen time with Lloyd. Lloyd's going to get to do a lot of things. And he pulls off Billy Bob Thornton's fingernails at one point to get extract information, which Billy Bob Thornton gives up, which I thought was fun. Funny that a guy who'd been in the CIA for like, a hundred years just sort of folded when they started pulling his fingernails out. It's like, wouldn't that be part of the training? I mean, didn't you train people to resist this kind of torture and you cannot resist it yourself? Uh, I think it, I guess it did escalate and they were just threatening to kill the girl. And then that wasn't, you know, he wasn't going to let that happen. Because again, killing the kids is a step too far. That's too far. We, we had a line and then you cross the line with the, with the kid murder, right? We'll murder any adult. Any adult, even the ones that have kids, but not their kids, even the ones who are just, they're just driving a car down the street, but you know, kids, nope, that's too far. That's it's against spy code, whatever that is. And so Lloyd is, is sent on a, a globe trotting mission to try and find six and recover this information that incriminates Renee page and, and Jessica Henwick. And, and there he's told by any means necessary, which he apparently means, kill as many people as necessary uh so i mean there's there's some intrigue back and forth here uh six tries to go to like a a hideout right a place that's meant to help spies like get new identities and stuff he shows up he gets uh, uh, wagner mora is there and he looks awful like oh my god i mean i know he was supposed to look not great Mm. like he looks bad like just bad um and so he's there for like five seconds and he traps six and we get to see six, like come up with a solution to escape this deep, dark hole that he's in, which is, you know, I mean, it was, you need to see that your spy is clever. They can get out of weird situations. So, I mean, it's fine. Uh, he ends up, you know, it's, it's all very, it's all very close though. Like he escapes right as Lloyd is getting there to kill him, like within seconds of that happening, which all just seems very convenient. There's that word again. <laughs> We keep coming back to it. It's all very convenient that he would escape at the moment that they're, they've arrived to, to kill him or capture him or whatever. And so he does action sequence, action sequence, punch, 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 kill, kill, kill. Um, then he, he gets some assistance from Ana de Armas and he's able to de-shoe Lloyd. And that's where he gets his, his red wing boots, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, even though up until this point, every scene that Lloyd has been in, regardless of action scene or not, he's been wearing loafers, like just straight up, like no socks loafers. For some reason at this scene, he's wearing shoes that Ryan Gosling wants for himself and they turn it into a joke. There's, there is a lot of quippiness in this film that mostly yeah. works between Gosling and, and, and Evans. Um, Gosling makes fun of his you know mustache and his clothes and, you know, how pretentious everything is and. Gosling, you know, and, and Evans rebuffs most of them sufficiently. And, you know, that's fine. I mean, like, I've seen enough spy movies to know that spies need to be able to quip at each other from time to time. And and Lloyd, uh, Lloyd is kind of funny. I mean, like the. Yeah, the, I mean, was he the, gets the. Uh, you want to make an omelet? You got to kill a few people. That was funny. Like, kill a few I people. genuinely yeah, I mean, laughed. That was good. That was good. I mean, like, he definitely gets the the highest degree of lines that can be interpreted as funny. <laughs> but they're most it's it's mostly sadism humor right yeah. like that kind of thing bad guy. But i'm it's such bad a guy. bad it's, guy uh, right like it's there's no there's never a question lloyd is not going to have his heel turn or not his heel turn but his his mm-hmm. redemptive arc right like there's yeah. no redemptive arc for lloyd he's just bad 
Um, and that's good. I mean, sometimes within these movies, especially modern spy thrillers, they, they do want to, to play with, Oh, maybe the good guys, the bad guy, maybe the bad guys, the good guy who, who can tell, you know, like there are definitely those spy thrillers that want to sort of play and dance on that line. This is not one of those, right? The bad guys are bad. The good guys are good. And, and you're going to watch the good guy slowly murder and dismantle the bad guys until he achieves some semblance of a goal. Right. And that's, that's it. It's a little bit, um, did you ever, did you ever play the game ghost recon wildlands? That's a weird no. thing to mention, but it, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> um, ghost right, so, recon. So, so ghost recon coming back. I mean, we've come full circle to Clancy, right? That's what's happened. Yay. So ghost recon, uh, is, is one of the Tom Clancy franchises and Wildlands specifically. You're, you're a team of four, um, uh, special agents, gray men, if you will. I mean, that's kind of what you are, honestly, mm-hmm. working for the CIA dropped into, uh, I think it's supposed to be Bolivia but they tried to not make it be Bolivia because Bolivia apparently got really pissed off because they, because they basically established that Bolivia has been taken over by drug dealers. It's like a, a narco, it's like a narco government. Right. And and you basically get dropped into this world. And these, these four unabashed American dudes just proceed to murder hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people over the course of dismantling this, this narco government and all of these like, you know, lieutenants and it's, it's like the, the gang of 52, like you got to go all the way up to the top thing. And it's just the most jingoistic, just rah, rah. I mean, like you'll, you'll murder, you know, like a dude in a, in a city center or something. And, and you'll just have a dude in your ear go like, ooh, rah. <laughs> it's like, Oh God. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's, it's fun to do the murders in those games. It's a pretty good time. And, uh, and I, I there were a few moments watching this where I was like, this feels a little bit like ghost recon <laughs> where he's just murdering everyone as long as they're, they're bad, right? Like they're the bad ones. So just kill them. And, and you know, the game tries to mix it up a little bit. There's like one character about halfway through that you can choose to let them go because they're not really that bad. You don't have to, you can just murder them if you want, but if you want to let them go, it kind of opens up another storyline. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's rough. It's that kind of like very simple. Like we, if anything, that's what makes this story kind of weird because the story is both simple and complicated at the same time. Like the story itself is very straightforward, but yet, as we mentioned before, there's all this like weird behind the scenes stuff like, Oh, the old man. and Oh, we've got this other group. And yeah, it's un, it's needlessly convoluted for the simplicity of the story being told, which is, dude kill people to get person yeah right like must kill people to get person save person again i I mean i feel like we got to come back to the ultimate type of of kill people to get person movie which is taken yeah oh yes i I mean, mean if 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 liam neeson was still working for the government at the time that he did the taken um that would be this movie yeah like it's the same basic concept uh, fewer, fewer, fewer Eastern Europeans. That's yeah. really the only difference, right? Just, just fewer people from that Eastern Bloc, you know. Uh, so I, I do want to talk about. I mean, we could break down all the action sequences. I don't think they're necessary. Alfred Woodard is in this for some reason for like three seconds, um, and well, she's she fine. She smokes. <laughs> then she gets blown up by a grenade, which is always fun. Uh, heroic blowing up, like she gets yeah. blown up heroically um, to to save the gray man who. I'm not sure he needed saving, but whatever. 
Um, it, she also gives them a very nice car, uh, an Audi that they're able to drive for a little bit before it gets completely destroyed. She was one of uh, those which, like relationships where there's absolutely no, no background given to us. We're just supposed to accept right, that these people yeah. know each other and that they're friends. They just and, all know each other. And I would do anything Everybody's, for you, Six. I would do right. anything for and, you, Alfred Woodard. I don't remember what her name was. <laughs> judge or something. I think something it, like that. I, I mean, remember. she's great. Yeah, I always like matter. to see her, but it just... Oh yeah, the relationship didn't make any sense because it's like, why would you do anything for each other again? I, and that's the question: is like, what is what is happening? Like, who are these people, and what are they doing? And I mean, I know you gave us one scene where we saw them working together, and they all knew each other. Oh, like, that was does it. Does that justify this? Like, uh, um, so yeah, very strange. Uh, but that that scene of Alfred Woodard getting blown up in was Berlin or something, um, leads to honestly the most problematic action sequence for me. Um, this is a film full of problematic action sequences. Uh, some of them are fine. Many of them are dodgy. Uh, but this one in Berlin, it starts with him being captured, right? Like the police actually capture him as he's trying to escape that building that blew up. Yeah. And then they, they chain him to a bench in a public park, which I'm not sure that's police procedure. I mean, again, this is Berlin, so maybe they do things differently there. But so they, they capture bad. him, they chain him or they handcuff him, excuse me, to a bench in a public park. And then the bad guys like the, you know, the, the Lloyd bad guys show up and they start killing all the cops. And, you know, again, Gray Man gets to try and be good by saying, like, clear this park now. Get these people out of here. You know, like that kind of thing. Um, and and then they show up and it becomes like a big firefight with all these like heavily armed tactical dudes. This and was the, the most video and gamey. It is very video gamey. And so he's tied to this bench and he's just like chilling out behind it. <laughs> Not trying <doing> to <laughs> trying to like get a gun or something so that he can get out of it. And they they turn it into a joke. Like he's trying to get a gun so that he can so that he can shoot the handcuff off or something. And then by the time he gets the gun and uses it to defend himself. He doesn't have enough bullets left. He doesn't have enough bullets left to, um, to, to shoot the handcuffs. And so they like have these things and he's just like sitting there and he's like, Ugh. and I'm like, dude, people are being murdered all around you. Like, and they're caught and they're like police are like good people and they're being murdered. And they're just like, Oh, what a pain in the ass, man. I can't get a gun so I can free myself. It's just like, Oh my God. Yeah. And so, you know, there's there's just a bit of that kind of thing that keeps going on. And and Lloyd has a lot of vans filled with dudes. A lot of dude vans. Um, and, and they all have different funny sayings on the side because they're supposed to be like dry cleaners and stuff. It's just and endless resources. It, then they get on a on a train, like a public transit tram. And it becomes like this big, long action sequence and they're following this tram through the town and they're shooting people on the tram and off the tram and jumping back and forth. And, and there's then some the cars cool get involved. Action. There's a minigun. Like, sorry, go ahead. There's some cool action here. I mean, it's not all bad. Like, we're making it sound like it's terrible to watch. It's not terrible to watch. No, no. I mean, it's it's the type of thing that you would expect from the Russo brothers who have managed big, weighty action sequences before, Right. But again, it just resolves in such a way that it's it's nigh unbelievable that he is OK because he's like riding on top of the train at a, for a certain point and he's on top of it. And then the train crashes through a building and he ends up like jumping onto Anna Diarmas's car that she's using to follow along. And 
it's it's just one of those things that the scale of it gets away at the end and it turns into a superhero action scene where now six is a superhero, right? Like he yeah. is, he is, he is Superman. Like he is capable of surviving this thing that uh, under normal circumstances would just kill anyone else. And I mean, they, they get, they get a laugh out of it where he's like, can we just go now? You know, or whatever. But it, I, I honestly preferred the ending action sequence at the castle to this one, which I feel like this was meant to be like the set piece, right? This is the one that they wanted to have in the trailer, right? This is the trailer action set piece. Cause it's got so much going on. But it just it didn't it didn't feel scaled appropriately. It was too much. Right? It's sort of like how Bond always tends towards the ridiculous. Like there's there there must be this scale of as a Bond f- franchise goes on, it must get more ridiculous. Like it just has to e- escalate. Um, he's got to go to the like, moon. you know, he's got to go to the moon, right? Somebody's got to shoot a laser at the moon or shoot a rocket at the moon, and he's got to go deal with it. Like, it's just, it's like the inevitable end point for these spy franchises is they just keep one upping themselves. And it's like the Russo brothers one up themselves inside their own movie, which is weird. <laughs> you know, it's like you didn't have to go this hard, right? Like you could just had him fight on the train and then have the train come to a stop and him step off and be like, well, that was fucking weird or whatever. Like you didn't have to crash the train into a building. <laughs> <laughs> it's like just it's okay yeah. like you just you don't have to do that kind of stuff it's fine and so that was the one even even my partner she she was watching it she was like really he's fine like that train just went through a building and he was on top of it is how is he okay like he's, it was just he's six it was it was <laughs> he's six he's super six he and that was the thing is like sometimes the action in this strains credibility yeah like just too far right and it's it's not bad and it's certainly spectacle so if you're coming to this for spectacle you're going to get it but it it just i i didn't want to think of six as this unstoppable superhero i like my spies a little vulnerable and a, you know capable of, of being in danger and this sort of set the bar as like this dude can never be in danger uh, it's worth mentioning, I guess, uh, that also then leads to them going to a hospital to try and get the location of the pacemaker, um, which leads to a, a pretty interesting one-on-one fight, or, or really one-on-two fight, because Ana Diarmas is, is fighting as well with uh, Danush, uh, who is, is, of course, you know, I, I'm really happy to see that that Hollywood and Bollywood are are making their way into Hollywood, you know, cinema, like these these people are finally being recognized for the sort of insane accomplishment that most of these movies have, uh, you know, especially their action films and their, their, you know, sort of big movies. So, so he's in it and it's a great action sequence, just a really standard sort of like fight choreography sequence that ends pretty well. Um, and then that sets up the sort of final big action set piece at this castle, you know, where, where Lloyd has been holed up, you know, in his control room, dictating what all of these other teams are going to do and, and then watching them all get killed by six kind of one right after the other. Um, so what did you think of the, the end, how this all wraps up? They go to this castle on a DRMS. They, they get, you know, sort of like roided up with weapons <laughs> and then they, they assault the castle. Six goes in in secret and a DRMS creates a distraction outside. There's a bunch of explosions. We get a little bit of the drone stuff happening with some, some speed drone shots. How do you how do you feel about this this ending as it wrapped everything up or attempted to at least? It was fine. I mean it it definitely had like boss fight 
energy. Um, yes, particularly the sure. hedge maze. Like I was like, oh, a set piece. Ooh, <laughs> how nice. Hedge mazes. Wow. Are fun. Um, <laughs> the one thing I did want to point out, as a person who who is worked in and around and 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 currently in the field of of technology. Um, so there is a, another hand-to-hand fight between Danush and Anna de Armas. Um, and, and the main weapon being deployed is a power strip, which I, Hey, I'm fine with that. True. Right. Like I love it when an action sequence incorporates like just stuff in the environment. I think that's, that's really good, but I just had to call out that I think that power strip had the longest cord on it <laughs> that I've ever seen. Uh, it was like 25 feet long with a power strip on the end. And I was, and in the moment I was like, that's too long for a power strip. <laughs> like I just, I know that's stupid, right? Like that's a stupid thing to call out in a movie. But I was like, no, that's it, no well, power if you strip. Had, if you had a power strip like that, you certainly wouldn't be risking it in a fight. No, that's you probably hundreds of dollars. wouldn't want anything to happen to it. Cause no, that's the power strip. That's the one that had everything going. Home Depot only had those once and they never had them again. Take good They're care probably of that a fire hazard. Strip. You know, they couldn't take care of Of course they are. But where are you ever you know, going to find one with a cable that long? <laughs> I mean, dude, monoprice discontinued there. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I just, it was one of those things. And that's, that's kind of was my story with this movie is that I'd be going along and it would be fine. And then like a thing would happen and it would just sort of like pull me out of it. Like just something goofy would happen or some strain of coincidence. And I would be like, what? You know, and and like that's what you don't want. And that's one of the things that maybe it's because the Kingsman series is so over the top and kind of ridiculous. Like they established that from the get go. Like it's it's a spy agency that's based out of a tailor shop. So you're just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Anything goes. But those movies, as much as they strain credulity over and over again, there's never a point where something happens that I'm like, ah, that's dumb. You know, yeah. like it just doesn't. Whereas in this one, that happened at least three times over the course of the movie. It's like, eh, I don't know. About it that. wants to be realistic, but it also wants to be over the top, wild, right. and crazy. And that balance is hard. I mean, that's a hard yeah. balance to, to maintain for anybody. But it certainly seems like this film tries to to have their cake and eat it, too. Like they want Six to be an unstoppable, like Captain America level superhero, but at the same time, they want him to be this like vulnerable dude who cares about kids and, you know, wants to do the right thing. And it just tonally, that doesn't always land. Um, I, I think it might have helped. I mean, I, I frankly, Anna Darmus is wasted in this. Like she she gets nothing to do. She has like three scenes. She gets that one line where she gets to tell Renee Page to like get out of my personal space. That then gets flipped around on her at the end and she doesn't get a way to get one up back on him. Which is like, dude, you totally just stripped her of her best line. And like, because at the end of the movie, she's she's gone back into the fold. She's still part of the CIA. That and she's in that part of and the he's ending like, Get out of my felt space. weird because it. Oh God, yeah. we were so victorious and like, yay, everything's gonna work out. They got the girl back and everything will be fine. And then it's like, no, these terrible people, the old man, whoever that is is still in charge yeah and and and, nothing is we get this we get this big action sequence at the castle um he ends up in the hand-to-hand fight with lloyd in in the hedge maze and then that's fine i mean gosling and evans do some good choreography i don't think 
Lloyd is dead. I, I think, you know, I think he's hurt really bad, but I don't think he's dead. I think they'll bring him back. Maybe not. I don't know. I haven't read the Gray Man books. Maybe he's dead and he's dead for good, but these are spy movies. They're basically superhero films at this point. They're going to bring him back, I suppose. But in, in any case, there's fighting the hedge maze. Um, there's a bit of a double cross where Six gets into the house and rescues Fitzroy and the girl, Billy Bob Thornton and the girl. And they're escaping and then Lloyd figures it out and they're chasing and they're fighting on balconies and stuff. And rocket launchers. I, I don't know. Just stuff blows up and everything happens. And then um, Billy Bob Thornton, grenade, much like Alfred Woodard before him, grenades himself and in an attempt to try and kill Lloyd and still fails. Like, and how did that okay. not kill him? You know, I, I really love how movies have like a real moving target when it comes to the explosive power of a grenade. You never know. You never know. Um, like you remember in Long Kiss Goodnight, that grenade blows up in the hallway. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. And then there's like a massive fireball that they run away from and jump out a window. And then it's like... Like, okay, grenades don't have that kind of explosive power. It's basically a shrapnel bomb. Like, you get killed by the shrapnel, not necessarily yeah. the concussive force. Um, and this is just a standard grenade. Like, if it was some kind of special grenade, if it was like C4 or something, then sure, whatever. Like, you know, make it blow up or whatever. But this was just a standard, like, you know, hey, this is a grenade that I put on my belt and I throw it at a dude. And it, it just, yeah, I mean, the explosion that we see it produce should have murdered anyone in the area. Yeah. But Lloyd, of course, no. he survived. he's got a little cut on his cheek. He's got a little cut on his cheek. But he's otherwise fine. Yeah, like aside from the fact that you probably couldn't hear anything for like two weeks after having that blow up in your face, but whatever. So Six gets hurt really bad in his fight with Lloyd, and he gets stabbed a bunch of times. And so basically they get captured, right? The girl gets captured. They, they rescue the girl from Lloyd. Good. But Lloyd still captured... They, they still capture Six, they capture Anna de Armas, they capture the girl, right? Or, or like the agency does. So Six is put into like some sort of like sub-level hospital where he's being guarded by a bunch of dudes from the army. The girl is moved to this house. So they I guess their plan is to keep the girl so that they can make Six do what they want, which doesn't seem to have worked out for them up until this point. Like they haven't been able to, to still control him or stop him. Why do they think that they can now? Again, they for spies, these high level spies that are like running the show seem like total idiots, it, but whatever. Right. Like, and of course, guess what? Six escapes from the facility. They get this great little reveal where they're like, haha, we've, we've got him in the basement idiot we've got him stripped he'll never escape he's blah, blah, blah. and then the door opens and everybody's dead and it's like yeah he's well, gone surprise surprise and but yeah we but we do get this boardroom scene where basically the cia board who it is one of the russos i forget which one i, I don't remember which one's anthony which one's joe but one of the the, the russo who likes to be in his movies because he's been in all the captain america movies too is there and he's like the CIA director. I don't know if he's the old man. That would be kind of ironic if the director of the film was the old man. I don't get the impression that it is though. No. And and so like he's like, well, you know, you guys really did some bad shit, but it was really it seemed like it was all that Lloyd guy, right? And they're like, oh yeah, it was totally just Lloyd. He was <laughs> Lloyd did all of this. We told we him were to just, stop, but he just we couldn't. did many. Told him. I mean, Jessica Henway, she was there and she kept she said at least three or four times, Lloyd, you should really stop. And he just did. It was weird. 
Yeah, and and then like they're completely exonerated, which again, I don't know how. Like Movies. there are hundreds of people dead, hundreds of people dead in in foreign lands on foreign soil, and CIA people were involved. Like I just don't see them being like, it's you know, fine. you guys messed up this time. This time you guys messed up real bad. But as long as you don't do it again, because he basically says, I don't want to see you in here again for a long time. So that's pretty much like the CIA saying like, okay, you contributed to the, the like total slaughter of small towns in Europe, like several of them, at least the equivalent. But, you know, don't do it again. Just you cut it out. Right. Yeah. It's like the kid. It's like the same level of punishment as like a kid who sharpened all the pencils in your classroom. And you're like, dude, not what, cool. you, like you sharpen them all down to nubs. And you're like, what are you doing, man? Like people need those. And then you're like, don't do that again. And then he's like, OK, that's basically the level of punishment that these people get for all yeah. of this destruction. And so they just hang it all on Lloyd because Lloyd was the problem from the start. You know, the fact that we hired Lloyd and we paid Lloyd and we gave him our resources, not important. But it was all Lloyd's idea. The secondary issue was just Lloyd's idea. And, you know, I've known Lloyd since college. And that sounds like a total Lloyd move, telling you. This is a Lloyd move from the start. My bad. Exactly what he would do. That's that's just Lloyd for you. And and then Anna de Armas gets one up by Renee Page and they just walk. Yeah. And it's over and they just get away with it. And so like the end of this movie, the only like emotional closure that you get, cause you don't find out about the old man, the guy who was the bad guy that was behind everything gets away with it. Cause he destroys all the evidence that made him seem like a bad guy. Jessica Henwick's like, haha, I'll be on your side and we'll be a team. And now I know all your secrets. So you've got to treat me good. And he's like, haha, we'll see about that. And then it just ends Yep. after six kills, a bunch of innocent dudes guarding a girl that probably have no idea what's going on. And then steals a G wagon and disappears. And that's the end of the movie. It's just cool. It was real dissatisfying. <laughs> I like, so I'll give you a weird counterpoint and this doesn't come from a spy film. So maybe it's not the great one, but I recently watched the black phone and uh, it's great. We'll, we'll never talk about it on here. Cause black phone is great. It's great. We might talk about it on here. I don't know. We can talk about good stuff too. It doesn't matter. We can do whatever it's we my want. Pod- it's our podcast. Damn it. We can do what we want. Um, but the black phone has easily the best ending of Scott Derrickson's career. Like it's the most thematically satisfying, emotionally satisfying action, satisfying that he's ever done. Right. And this is the dude that did the Dormammu. I've come to bargain ending in Dr. Strange, which is still the best ending of any Marvel movie. Like it's just fantastic. But that movie provides closure, mm-hmm. like no questions. Is it still open for maybe a sequel? Uh, depends how you want to interpret some elements of the film, maybe. But you can tell that they were like, no, we're going to shut this shit down, man. Like, and if we get a sequel or not, it doesn't matter. This movie needs to feel closed. And the problem with this movie is that they're so obviously aware that they're going to get a sequel that they don't bother closing any of the threads. Yeah. And that's a problem, right? Just for making this a satisfying watch. And Maybe that's maybe that's Netflix. Netflix changing everything into television. Like all things are television now. All movies are television. And I, that, you know, Marvel's done that too. So I mean, maybe the Russos are cool with that, I guess. But at the same time, like I miss movies that just felt comfortable ending. Yeah. And saying like, this is the end. Thank so that you, you could watching. just say <laughs> right. this is that movie and not that series. 
Right. And if I get more of them, great. But that one should end too, right? Like movies need endings. Um, we're just, what is, what did uh, Dan Olson on folding ideas say? We're just in the middle now. We're just, yeah. these are movies that never end. We're just perpetually in the middle of and, things. And that's why people get exhausted. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's got to contribute. So I, I was very disappointed in how the film ended. And I think I would have, I think I would feel better about it as a film if it had ended better. Um, you know, cause by the time this rolls around that like the sequel rolls around or whatever, I, I may not be a Netflix subscriber and I don't think I would come back for gray man too. No. Right. Like the, the, the would you, no. I mean, yeah. I mean like why there wasn't anything about this that was satisfying enough to make me think about that. I watched this because but it if they was told free me the on black Netflix. phone too, <laughs> right. but if they told me the black phone too was going to be exclusive to Netflix, I might. Yeah. Cause I want to see, okay, like that movie was good and it ended and I felt good about it. Now I want to see what else happens. That's fine. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a weird place to be. Um, I think it's a fine film. It's made well. The Russo brothers deserve their accolades <clears throat> for, for being able to navigate these massive big budget action things. And, and right? probably this is a really, really great cleanup effort for books that are a buckets of garbage. I mean, I've never read them. <laughs> I haven't either. Like I said, I, I think I might, like they're might buckets of garbage. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, you, you've got the, the mid to low tier spy thriller sort of like realm of books is like 99% garbage, right? Like they're, they're just not very good. And I don't get the impression that this is a very good one of these. I really don't. But like, I mean, like I didn't, honestly, I don't think the Bourne series in book form was very good either. And they were able to turn those into successful and, and mostly decent films. Um, so, I mean, you can certainly elevate it through the adaptation, but this, I don't think does much of that. Um, like I said, it's got two great leads, solid supporting cast who do as best they can with what they have to do. with some good action set pieces and that's, that's really it. Yeah. And, and maybe that's enough. Like if I said, you Netflix, Netflix certainly seemed to think it was It's enough. Yes, exactly. Um, if you have Netflix, definitely check it out. If you don't have Netflix, get a password from a friend and maybe check it out, but don't necessarily sign up. Maybe if you can watch it in your free trial period. Sure. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Like, it's worth a free trial sign up. You can, create an email address just to check it, you know, go on and check out the gray man. Sure. Um, all right. So I guess, you know, we've, we've belabored it enough. It's a fine little action thriller um, that probably should have been smaller scale. And I think I would have liked it at a smaller scale, Definitely. but you know, Netflix was, was throwing those money bags around and this is what we got. So, all right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Netflix, I guess. I appreciate All right, you. So it, <laughs> I appreciate you, Netflix. Thank you, Reed Hastings. I love you. Uh, so what's uh, any final thoughts on The Gray Man? So I'm, I'm, we're pretty middling on it, I think. It's, it's pretty evident. It's still a recommend, but it's a pretty lukewarm recommend for me. It's not a slam dunk. It is not the, the be-all, end-all of modern spy action thrillers. Um, but it, it will certainly provide for a satisfying afternoon. Also, too long. Yeah. Just, I'll throw that in there. Just far, far but, too long. but once again, movies are too long. So far too long. <laughs> um, oh, I will say, and I will say this on here, but we can talk about it a little bit after we finish recording. 
Um, if you have not watched Prey on Hulu, yeah. you must yeah. watch Prey. 10 out of 10. No notes. First truly great Predator sequel. Because, because all of the things that we've said about the gray man that make it bad, it has none of those. Yay. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, Dan Trachtenberg is two for two. Ten Cloverfield Lane, Prey, both excellent. Dude knows what he's doing. Give him money to make more things. <clears throat> but anyway, so um, to wrap up, all right, any final thoughts on The Man of Grey? I love Chris Evans, and I love his mustache. He should have a mustache all the time. Yes. Um, if there's anybody that can bring the mustache back, it is that man. Him, um, him and my partner can rock the mustache. That, looks, that is true. It looks real you, good. Your, your partner does it has a great mustache. mustache. And he does rock it well. Uh, I have a big full ass beard right now. And um, Get yourself I watch a movie a like this and I'd be like, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, maybe I could pull off a mustache. And then I look at my face. And I'm like, no, nah. I probably can't. It's okay. But uh, yes, I, I think it's, it's, you know, my mild recommendation is that it's it's certainly worth your time. I think there's some better sort of interesting thriller actioners out there. I'll throw out again, Reacher on Amazon Prime. It's a series, not a te- not a movie, but great little thriller. You know, sort of mystery series, really well acted, nicely scaled, very good, like really solid. Um, this, I, you know, yeah. Chris Evans is fun to watch. Ryan Gosling's fun to watch. He wears red wing boots. I know those. That was fun. Uh, Anna de Armas, very, very good as usual. Wish she'd had more to do, more cool stuff. Uh, but it's it's certainly... If it's indicative of what the Russos are going to be doing from here on out, I think I'm still pretty invested in what they have planned. But I would like to see them get scaled back. I want to see the Russos go back to the $10 million Wean something small and see Marvel what they budgets. do. Right. Like I, I'm, I'm firmly at the point now that there are some directors that I'm, I'm far more interested in what they do when they don't have unlimited money to do it because unlimited money leads to, I'm not going to say lazy filmmaking because it's, it's the opposite. It actually creates more problems for the filmmaking when you throw money at it. But I, I think I like it when a director, I like seeing directors who are forced to work with limited scope and limited budget because they get creative. They try things, right? Because you can't tell me that Paintball 2 on Community didn't have a a shoestring budget. And I watch that and I'm like, look at all they were able to do with this, right? Like that for me is more exciting. Whereas if you just turn on the money hose and spray and spray down the set, it's we see that all the time now. Like that is, that's almost the default now is turning on the money hose. Oh, I, and money hose. I know, right? Like can some of these studios share the money hose with the rest of us. But I, I really want to see them, you know, in the, in the sprinkler. I want to see them dancing in the sprinkler. instead of. <laughs> this metaphor is getting know, weird. <laughs> I, I, I worked outside a lot this morning. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit sun drunk. Uh, and I, there may have been somebody in the, in the neighborhood who was playing in the sprinkler, but yeah. Um, I, 
because I mean, you have to attach the sprinkler to the hose. So technically it's still, uh, anyway. Okay. Yes. The metaphor has lost all my, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to let it go. But anyway, uh, it's, it's perfectly fine. It is adequate entertainment for a, a lazy afternoon. If you are so inclined and, and enjoy seeing two very, very good action stars sort of go at each other and, and get it done. And then you're also interested in boardrooms and people in glasses because there's a lot of that too. Yeah. But, uh, all right. So, uh, well, like I said, a recommend from both of us, not necessarily the highest recommendation, but certainly probably worth your time, even though, uh, the Rotten Tomatoes score on this one is pretty abysmal. It's, it's okay. Uh, all right. So if anybody wants to get a hold of you online to talk about their feelings about, uh, Red Wing Boots, where can they do that? You can find me at the mustache zone at Baskinator on Twitter. All uh, mustaches you can get a hold of me. all the time. All mustaches. Uh, you can find me in the tracksuit zone, which is another part Yay. of this film. There's, there's some tracksuit action. You can find me in the tracksuit zone at T-Baskin. And then, of course, you can get us together at F-Peace Theater. And then if you need to email us, you can get us at failurepiece at gmail.com. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We certainly enjoyed uh, joking back and forth about the gray man and, and all of its uh, good and bad aspects. And we'll be back in the near future with another breakdown of a movie that even though it maybe wasn't the best might be a little bit of a failure maybe it's a failure piece and it's still worth your time so we'll see you then bye bye